there, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies, the only podcast of its kind in the entire world. You see, what we do here is we come up with a season that has six movies that are all related to a single theme. Then we discuss how and why the movie was made, and then cap it off, we give you a full review of the movie from start to finish, just to see if it's any good. And it's hosted by me, Chad Cooper, and my lifelong pal, Mr. Bo Ransdell. I define you to find this podcast's equal anywhere in the known universe. And you are here for an extra special episode of this season's theme as seen on TV, where we are featuring six movies all inspired by television shows. Now, so far this season, we've examined TV-inspired movies from a variety of genres. We've kicked things off with a spy thriller, then a western, a police drama, an action-comedy combo, and now we're exploring the anthology genre of television. I'm a huge fan of anthology series because I don't have to remember what happened last week to know what the heck is going on this week. Among my favorite anthology TV shows, at the top of the list has got to be The Twilight Zone. And Alfred Hitchcock presents Amazing Stories, Goosebumps, Ray Bradbury Theater. What, you've never heard of these shows? Well, of course you haven't. Because you know what? I'm old. Let me jump to the 21st century. Black Mirror over on Netflix? That's an anthology series. And American Horror Story and HBO's True Detective, the adaptation of Fargo uh, to the small screen. That's an anthology series. But those last shows shift characters and premise each season as opposed to the more traditional approach of changing it each episode. Now, anthology series span all kinds of genres of entertainment, from comedy to western to police drama to sci-fi and to horror, which conveniently segues into introducing tonight's episode inspired by the fun house of horror, Tales from the Crypt. You never heard of Tales from the Crypt either? Well, the good news is we got Bo here to fill your head with words that make up sentences that form ideas that will educate somewhat interesting and mostly useless information to you about a TV show that you probably forgot about or just now learning ever existed. So you know what? Keep your hands and arms inside the podcast at all times as Bo does that thing that he does oh so well as he introduces us to episode five of this season with Tales from the Crypt presents Bordello of Blood. Bo, you're on. Tales from the Crypt sits squarely at the crossroads of dumb shit I love. For one, it's a comic book, and I'll be damned if I still don't enjoy a good comic book. Shout out to That Texas Blood, speaking of. But not only was Tales from the Crypt a comic, it was a horror comic. And it was a name I immediately associated with the unspeakable and the taboo. And I wasn't the only one. In his introduction to the novel Salem's Lot, Stephen King talks about his own love for the horror comics of the 40s and 50s, the big ones like Tales from the Crypt, published by EC Comics. In that introduction, King recalls an issue where a bunch of vampires running a roadside diner fit all their victims, hapless all-American teenagers, with spigots in their necks to tap their blood like so much maple syrup. It's a silly image, but kind of horrifying too, and it's what made EC Comics what it was mostly. The secret ingredient of EC Comics, if you want to know the real story, was a guy by the name of Bill Gaines, who inherited a business and made it a part of the culture. But to understand Bill Gaines, you have to know something about his dad, too. Max Gaines was a pioneer in his own right. Max grew up in New York City in the early 1900s. When he was only four, he was leaning too far out of a window and fell out. 
his leg catching the sharp end of a picket fence and giving him a lifetime injury that would frequently pain him. It was this injury that many around Max pointed to as the reason for his loud and aggressive nature. Oh yeah, Max Gaines was a solid gold asshole, in addition to being a genius and all. He'd never found a career worth keeping until 1933. Before that, Max worked as a teacher, a munitions factory worker, a school principal, a haberdasher, which is always a fun word to say, but none of that stuck and he found himself working a sales job for Eastern Color Printing. Wait a second, Eastern Color? EC? Well, we may have just a little bit of foreshadowing, folks. Eastern Color Printing produced Sunday comic strips. Max thought repackaging previously run comic strips in a book might make for a great way to reuse the comics and do a little advertising. He pitched an idea to give away these comic books, unavailable for sale anywhere else, and all you had to do was mail in a coupon clip from a Procter & Gamble product, and you'd get your very own book of a bunch of reprinted Mutt & Jeff comics. While that may lack some charm now, the promotion was a big success, and similar books were made for Canada Dry, Soft Drinks, and Philips Dental Magnesia, which I think was the first toothpaste made from pure uranium, and lots more. These pamphlets were the very first four-color books, the ground zero of color comics, and one of the first steps of a multi-billion dollar industry. In 1938, Max Gaines started publishing original content, along with partner Jack Leibowitz. They called their venture All-American Publications, which Gaines would oversee while Leibowitz managed both All-American and National Comics. Now, those two businesses would later merge into DC Comics, which you may have heard of on this very show, see all of Season 5, and probably nowhere else. When Max was bought out in 1944, he started yet another comics company, this one called Educational Comics. EC Comics published titles like Picture Stories from the Bible and Picture Stories from American History. You know, education. There were some humorous titles in the mix too, but nothing daring or outrageous, certainly nothing horrific. No, horror wasn't what Max Gaines published, but he certainly provided his share of terror. Remember that leg wound of his and his crotchety attitude? It wasn't reserved for his business associates or customers, though they got some of it too. No, Max's favorite target was his odd, unruly son, Bill. William Maxwell Gaines was admittedly a weird kid for the age in which he lived. For one thing, at the age of 12, he announced he was an atheist. And he was an amateur magician, which probably didn't help his cause much. When his father decided it was time to vent some frustrations, he would reach for a leather belt and beat Bill with it. According to Bill Gaines, during these lashings, Max would yell at his son again and again, You'll never amount to anything. Later, Bill Gaines would say Max, quote, expected the worst from his son and was rarely disappointed. Bill endured those beatings until he could go off to school at Polytechnic Institute in Brooklyn, not that far, but away from his old man. He dropped out to join the Air Corps in 1942 to give the Kaiser what for, but he ended up becoming a base photographer. At DeRitter Army Air Corps Base in Louisiana, he met his first wife, Hazel. In 1945, Bill was discharged from the Army, what with Jerry busted up by the Allies. Sorry, sometimes I can't help talking like newsreel footage. But Bill went back to school, this time at NYU. In 1947, while Bill Gaines studied at NYU, he was shaken by two big events. First, he and Hazel split up. On the heels of that relationship ending, he received word that his father was injured in a freak accident. While boating, 
Max Gaines, and friend Sam Irwin, along with Irwin's son, were struck by another boat on Lake Placid. Sam Irwin's eight-year-old son was the only survivor. It's hard to know how to weigh the life of Max Gaines. He was an innovator and probably close to a marketing genius, but he was also a guy who got his jollies hitting his kid with a leather belt while whipping the boy's ego, too. Aside from his legacy as a comics pioneer, he left something else to Bill Gaines. EC Comics. Bill graduated from NYU while steering EC Comics with one hand, keeping the doors open and continuing publication of the illustrated history of soap or whatever, but after graduation, Bill started to get more interested in the family business. He received a portfolio from an artist named Al Feldstein, and Al's sketches of sexy girls and pinup poses were a far cry from the religious comics EC was pushing out the door. Bill felt a stirring, and not just the usual pinup stirrings. No, Bill had a vision, and he and Al became fast friends, guys consumed with possibility. They had a wild idea that comics aimed at teens and young adults might just work, but you had to appeal to their sensibilities. The pages had to be filled by fast cars and smoking guns, seductive women, and maybe a vampire or two. In 1950, Educational Comics was rebranded Entertaining Comics, and two new titles premiered. The Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt sailed first, anthology books featuring grisly tales of terror. Tales from the Crypt's salacious stories were presented by the Crypt Keeper, who peppered puns throughout his comments bookending these stories. And the covers were enticing promises of gory dismemberments and blood-soaked revenge. The art inked by L. Feldstein and others, including luminaries like Wally Wood and Jack Davis and Jack Kamen and Harvey Kurtzman, artists whose work you know even if you don't know you know it, and all deserving of their own tales on a show like this. It was a wild west, maybe even a wild wild west, of artistry and creative freedom, even if a lot of the stories were just takes on classic and contemporary horror tales from Robert Block and H.P. Lovecraft, there was a gleefully macabre quality to it. You know those nerds like me who decorate their house for Halloween but don't own a Christmas tree? Those nerds ate this shit up. It was more mature, if not exactly adult entertainment, and it catered to a dark-humored sensibility, a cheery approach to presenting axe-wielding maniacs and angry ghosts return from the grave for vengeance. It shared DNA with Charles Adams' comics, celebrating the humor of the horrible. It was, in a word, fun. Bill was known as a great guy to work for, a stark contrast to his father. He would arrange vacations for his staff as a group, once taking all the crew to Haiti. While in Haiti, as a goof, Bill and a few of the artists found the home of a recent subscriber, claiming they had come to Haiti to present him with his renewal card. This was, as it happened, the only Haitian subscriber. However, a neighbor saw the commotion, asked what was happening, and when he learned the absurd reason for the crowd of weirdos gathered at his neighbor's house, he subscribed too. Bill announced the trip a financial success, having effectively doubled the magazine's Haitian subscribers. That was Bill Gaines, silly, generous, and equally cheap, as his collaborators pointed out, but a big, grinning guy who loved to thumb his nose at the man. He inspired loyalty, so much so Al Feldstein was going to be a creative consultant on a Bill Gaines movie John Landis wanted to direct, which fell through, but how I wish I could have seen that one. Amidst this cavalcade of ghoulish fun, though, came the Buzz Killington Patrol, and lawmakers and religious leaders started blaming all the rock music and leather jackets on violence in the movies. No, wait, wait, 
uh, violence in video games. Nope, wait, nope, too early for that. It's, uh, oh, violence in comic books, obviously. So Bill Gaines and his team of 'er ne'er-do-wells are dragged before the U.S. Senate to answer for their crimes of drawing bloody corpses rising from the graves in comic books. This all began with a book written by a pop psychiatrist named Frederick Wortham called Seduction of the Innocent. Wortham claimed that most juvenile delinquency could be traced back to horror and violent comics, which led to the Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency. And it was hard for Gaines and others to argue to a bunch of guys born in the late 1800s that these comics were just for fun. Sure, it looked violent, but it was really just a silly story with some spooky artwork, and that it all came down to being tasteful. When Gaines was pressed on just whose taste served as the barometer for what was considered for publication, Bill Gaines admitted it was his taste that mattered. The Senate ultimately concluded that just maybe comics weren't the reason for all juvenile delinquency, but knock it off with the heaving breasts and beheadings, why don't you? To avoid legislation against the industry, leaders in the business of comics created the Comics Magazine Association of America and a Comics Code Authority to prove to the government that they could be just as draconian as any elected official. The words horror and terror could no longer be used in comic titles, and you couldn't tell stories that featured zombies or werewolves or really any monster that might lead to a kid playing hooky. Sickened by how EC Comics seemed to have been specifically targeted, Bill Gaines ceased publication of all of his horror titles. The last was an issue of The Crypt of Terror, which was released under the Tales from the Crypt banner on account of not having terror in the title. But this was not some sad end for Bill Gaines. EC had another title, a parody and humor magazine called Mad. While now is not the time for that tale, let's just say Bill Gaines, the kid whose father swore would never amount to anything, amounted to quite a lot. He was one of the most successful publishers of his or any generation, and he worked as a creative talent for a very long time. More than that, he was beloved by those who knew him. He and Mad Magazine became institutions, symbols of irreverence and comedy. Bill died in 1992, and he was posthumously inducted into the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame, which is the premier industry award, and the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame. His work is going to outlive us all, and it remains a litmus test for friendship. You like Mad Magazine? Me too. You're probably okay. You like Tales from the Crypt? Me too. You're probably okay. And that's the same experience shared with Hollywood producer Joel Silver and director Walter Hill, the guy that directed uh, Streets of Fire and The Warriors and a lot of great movies. While Streets of Fire was filming, he and Walter Hill started chatting about Creepshow and The Twilight Zone, and the conversation wound around to the Tales from the Crypt comics of their childhood. With other anthologies bubbling up, they decided to make a television version of Tales from the Crypt. Richard Donner, who was famous for the Superman films, as well as Lethal Weapon, which Donner had done with Joel Silver, was hot on the idea too. And with that kind of power behind it, how could the show fail? But it took a few years to get movement on the project. When Joel Silver worked with Robert Zemeckis on a movie called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? During that production, Joel Silver mentioned his idea for Tales from the Crypt, and Zemeckis jumped on board too which was the last piece of the puzzle needed to launch this show all the way to pay cable. HBO picked up the series, and they put their estimable, even then, weight behind it. It's common today, but seeing big movie stars on television was unusual, especially stars like Brad Pitt and Demi Moore, but there they were, right there on the tiny screen. And the show also gave license for stars to flex other muscles. Both Tom Hanks and Arnold Schwarzenegger 
directed for the first time on Tales from the Crypt. The filming of the show itself was quite clever. Two versions of the show were filmed, one for HBO, the other with language, sex, and violence toned down to make it acceptable for syndication on non-HBO channels, which, ironically, it was a screening of Tales from the Crypt episodes that led a participant to coin the now ubiquitous slogan, It's not TV, it's HBO. And the show got the campy tone right, too, largely thanks to a puppet stand-in for the comics narrator, The Crypt Keeper. Designed by Kevin Yeager, the same guy that did the original Freddy Krueger makeup, the Crypt Keeper was an intricate puppet that took six people to help the Keeper deliver his devilish dialogue. Voiced by John Kassir, the Crypt Keeper became synonymous with the show and very popular besides. The puppet appeared as a guest on Late Night Talk Show and received an animated spinoff series, and that's ignoring all the merchandising. With all this success, it was inevitable that someone was going to make a Tales from the Crypt movie. And they did. The first film was called Demon Knight, or more precisely, Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. A lot of the television show was based on old stories from the comics, but Demon Knight was an original feature script that had been bouncing around Hollywood for a while. Fright Night's Tom Holland was going to direct until he decided to can it for the opportunity to make Fatal Beauty. Yikes. And then it pinballed from Mary Lambert to Charles Band, and then to Joel Silver. He bought the script with the intent that this would be the second movie of a Tales from the Crypt trilogy. Sadly, the other two films, Dead Easy and Body Count were their names, were never made, but Demon Knight survived. Ernest Dickerson was tapped to direct, who got his start at George Romero's Tales from the Dark Side television horror anthology, and Dickerson went on to direct some of The Wire and The Walking Dead, and movies of his own like Juice. When Mary Lambert worked on the project, she pitched an African-American lead, and that led to Jada Pinkett, now Jada Pinkett Smith, snagging the role. Billy Zane is terrific as the villain, and William Sadler gets a rare starring turn as the besieged holy warrior, and it's all a lot of fun. It did well at the box office, even if the critics weren't terribly kind. Still, a bumpy start is no reason to abandon a trilogy, especially when you turn to profit. The script for the second film, Bordello of Blood, was far older than the television series. It was written by Robert Zemeckis, you remember the Roger Rabbit guy, and his then-partner Bob Gale. They wanted to get into the movies, so they penned an exploitation film about a whorehouse full of vampires. They were pitching this movie way back in the 1970s, but it never happened because the two Bobs landed Spielberg's 1941, and the whole whorehouse full of vampires thing was quickly forgotten. Until 1995, when Universal, the company behind Tales from the Crypt and Demon Knight, gave the green light to two more Tales from the Crypt movies. The ones on deck, Dead Easy and Body Count, were deemed too horrific and not nested in the sweet spot between humor and the horrible. Universal flirted with a script about vampires in a bar called From Dusk Till Dawn, but passed on that, which went to Miramax and became a cult hit. And then there was The Frighteners from a pre-Hobbit Peter Jackson, but that got the axe too. Still, Tales from the Crypt presents The Frighteners would have been fun. During this time, Robert Zemeckis was being wooed away from Universal by the recently minted DreamWorks studio. And Universal wanted to keep Captain Back to the Future right where he was, not realizing at the same time that he was about to descend into an uncanny valley of animated films from which he seems destined never to return. As part of that wooing, though, they gave Zemeckis' old Whorehouse of Vampires movie the green light as the second film in the Tales from the Crypt franchise. So now, with the script in place, along with Robert Zemeckis, Gilbert Adler, one of the longtime producers and showrunners of Tales from the Crypt, was given the nod to direct. He and another writer updated the original script for a modern audience and set about the work of casting. 
Joel Silver had some ideas about that. Number one, you're gonna need a supermodel. Silver was of the mind that the next big thing in movies was the supermodel star. In the grand history of bad ideas, this one was a doozy. And we can see the direct result in a very short amount of time. Joel Silver was simultaneously producing Fair Game, a vehicle for one of the non-Alec Baldwins, and supermodel Cindy Crawford, and Bordello of Blood, for which he pressed hard for the hiring of supermodel Angie Everhart in the villainous role of Lilith. When Fair Game landed in November of 1995 and subsequently bombed, Silver might have been sweating, especially considering Bordello of Blood was in the hands of not one, but two performers with limited acting experience. That's right, in addition to rule number one about those supermodels, we have rule number two, in which we get a popular comedian to be our wisecracking lead. Enter comedian Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller, of course, was most famous at the time for helming the anchor desk at Saturday Night Live and had gone on to do a late-night television show called Dennis Miller Live. When Dennis Miller was offered this film, he said he didn't want to do it. The only way he was ever going to take the lead in Bordello of Blood is if they paid me a million dollars for the part, which would be crazy. Check and mate. Only Joel Silver was just crazy enough to slash $250,000 from the special effects budget and give Dennis Miller his $1 million to be in the movie. Take that, Dennis Miller. Rounding out the cast was a buddy of Richard Donner's, Corey Feldman, and another model type, Erica Aleniak, who was more of an actress than Angie Everhart, to be sure. Chris Sarandon slums it as a preacher, but he at least seems to understand the movie he's in. Back to Dennis Miller, though, he hated this movie. He hated his dialogue, which led to a lot of improvisation on the set, and you know what that means, a big fat mess. His off-the-cuff remarks meant long production hours, continuity problems when he went wildly off-script, and a shrugging sense of, the hell are we all doing here, babe? Dennis Miller was doing his Dennis Miller Live talk show at the same time, and some days he would announce to the cast and crew of Bordello of Blood that he was too tired to work on that particular day, so many scenes were shot around Dennis Miller to be made up when he was all rested up and inclined to grace the production with his presence. When the movie finally was released, Dennis Miller told audiences to stay away from it on national television, torpedoing his own movie both during and after production. At least it's consistent. And it worked. The movie made less than $6 million in its run, and critics were happy to help Dennis Miller in sinking the film. One review from TV Guide goes, quote, Miller is the best thing about the film, but a little of him goes a long way, and he's on screen a lot. This is a travesty, and if Tales from the Crypt publisher Bill Gaines isn't spinning in his grave, it can only be because someone's already put a stake through his heart. You know, there's a third movie that completes this trilogy, the little-known movie Ritual from 2002, which stars Tim Curry and Jennifer Grey in a loose retelling of I Walked with a Zombie, but Tales from the Crypt as a film series has been quiet since then. But the original comics are not only around, they're readily available. The comics produced by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein and so many other talented artists have been compiled in great, full-color, glossy hardback editions, and they are a beautiful legacy of Bill Gaines of whom the worst was expected, and only the best was ever given. Now, kitties, 
Draw Up a Chair for a Twisted Tale of Mayhem and Mammaries, a sophomoric story by Hollywood Z-List with a lot of fangs and no bite. Ladies and gentlemen, boils and ghouls. It's time to get chatting here for a diabolical discussion. A Pick 6 Movies Presents 1996's Tales from the Crypt Presents Bordello of Blood. Whew. Welcome back to Pick 6 Movies. I am Bo Ranstell. With me as ever, the little person in my jungle, Chad Cooper. How are you, sir? I don't even know what the hell that means. I'm not really sure. Okay. (laughs) So, we are in episode 5 of of season 12. Yes! Obviously, we're skipping 13 because it's unlucky. Mm-hmm. Um, we are talking <laughs> about uh, television shows. What became movies? Yes, uh, as seen on TV is the the name of it. We have have come to a place where we are discussing a movie based on the uh, HBO series, groundbreaking series in many ways. Uh, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, I didn't like this TV show. I really dug it. I mean, for obvious reasons, but I get that Creep Show was sort of based on the the foundation of Tales from the Crypt, at least as a comic book. But I was much more a fan of Creep Show than Tales from the Crypt. I felt that that Tales from the Crypt was to Creep Show what SCTV was to Saturday Night Live. <laughs> you know, it was like right. it was a little bit less than. It was a little more campy, a little more stupid, and it leaned more towards the camp than it did towards the clever. Yes, for sure. But it it was very schlocky. No doubt about that. Uh, but it had some real winners. Uh, there was one called All Through the House about a killer Santa that's quite good. And there, there's a handful of them that are really, really good. A lot of them are, you know, real stinkaroos. Don't get me right. wrong. But, I, when I was a teenager and this was on, it was like, I'll sit through Tales from the Crypt. And then when this is over, I can switch over to Skinamax and take care of business. Or you just wait around for this movie, Chad. So here's what happened. Like They made the, the <laughs> Demon Knight movie. The Tales from the Crypt people did. What is this? I don't see any boobies in this movie. I need to see at least two boobies for every seven minutes of film. Go back and re-edit or shoot whatever it is that you do. Well, Demon Knight had titties, but it was like a scene. Not like this. No, 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 no. Not at all. This is a movie that feels like a 13-year-old did the rewrite on this. Basically in a chemistry class when he should have been paying attention. And just (laughs) basically just skim through this script and about every eight pages was just like and then they look at some boobs there's a lot of boobies in this a lot and a lot of talk of boobs as well like there it's just on everyone's mind just tits are everywhere well it's called the bordello of blood right but it's not called the tit factory of blood there's other parts of the ladies We'll get to it. Did you think that maybe that the bordello of blood might have been about a group of women that were all in sync with their periods and this was the one week that they were closed? That movie would definitely star Sally Field (laughs) as the matriarch. Meryl Streep maybe as the daughter? (laughs) 
Is it weird to call it a period piece? It's not weird. It's appropriate. Okay. If it's set in the 1800s, <laughs> is it a period period piece? Of course it is. Okay. Just making sure uh, I have my terminology right for film school. Our movie opens, and we get a text overlay that tells us we are in Tierra del Fuego. Now, Tierra del Fuego mm-hmm. is an archipelago in South America, and it's at the southernmost tip, and it's shared by Chile and Argentina, and it's really known for its dramatic landscapes and its snow mountains and glaciers and tundra and these wind sculpted trees and its main island isla grande appropriately yeah, yeah, yeah. it's home to the argentine resort of ushuya which is sometimes called the end of the world and it's really the gateway to antarctica however the opening shots of this film really feels like we're flying over canada Hey, holy relic coming at you. This movie looks like it's going to be about the vampires, eh? Take off. These vampires ain't going to be like any vampires you've ever seen before. They're going to be titties all over the place, eh? You think you're going to bite my neck, eh? You better bite into this slab of back bacon, eh? I'm having a hard time getting this can open, eh? How about you use those fangs for a little something useful? I'm going to call up my friend Getty Lee and have him come in here and take care of you with some of his amazing guitar work eh? hey we did that uh 12 days of christmas hey we should have done something with halloween this could be bob and doug's bordello of beer how about that eh pretty scary huh and it turns out all oh, the beer is flat eh it's a terrifying night uh, of horror speaking of sctv that was <laughs> as good as most of it <laughs> We cut to a group of men on horseback, and they're wandering through the lush pine forests of the Pacific Northwest as a substitute for the southernmost point of South America. And this opening sequence feels a lot like an Indiana Jones movie. There are horses and burros, and there's packs on these animals' backs, and there's a working crew of what I can assume are day laborers that are the type of individuals that either speak Spanish or Portuguese. I don't know. The Zabata guides. They're making their way through the woods that's pretending to be a jungle and there's skeletons on large spears and they're all hanging from trees and a question for you Bo: why do skeletons kind of stay in place in the form of a human body in movies because in the real world i'm assuming that when the flesh and the muscles you know and the organs kind of rot away don't the bones just tumble apart to the ground thanks to your friend and mine gravity Sure, that's just science, Chad. But what we're seeing here is like the cue line for Predator the Ride. You know, <laughs> it's just make em ups. And at some point, a television is going to come on. Hey, who are you guys? What's going on here? You shouldn't belong in this place. You need to get out of here. There are predators around. It's me, former Governor Jesse Ventura, coming to you live from my compound in Mexico. Look, I'm going (laughs) to need you to keep your hands and arms in the ride at all times. Otherwise, the reptilians will know that you were here. I'll meet you on the backside, but look out, because there's definitely a possibility of predators in the next few minutes. We have this down. We could do this. All of a sudden, across the producer's backyard comes this group of of people, including a little person, Chad. Mm Mm-hmm. And my first thought is, did David Lynch direct this? Oh, God, I wish. Oh, man, if only. But it's not. It's Phil Fondacaro. Yeah, who you will recognize. Like, he is, he is a very famous little person actor. You think he talks shit about Warwick Davis when he gets a few drinks in him? Where he's just like, Warwick can suck my dick. We both started out as Ewoks. And if I that son of a bitch Val Kilmer putting in a good word to... Uh, 
Ron Howard, I've not only been Willow, but I could have been my name on those fucking Harry Potter movies. You know what I was in Return of the Jedi? Ewok number four. I didn't have a goddamn name. If I had had a goddamn name, I would have been in Willow. Warwick fell ass backwards into Leprechaun, you know? You know, if I'd been in Leprechaun, I would have done Leprechaun 2 and Leprechaun 3 in Las Vegas and Leprechaun 4 in space. Hell, I'd have done Leprechaun 5 in the hood. Warwick didn't even do that. I would have stuck with the franchise. I know the meaning of loyalty. I call him Nozick S. Davis. And the S is for stupid. Leprechaun, leprechant. Leprechaun in space. He got to meet fucking Ice T. What did I get? Bumpkiss. I got Bordello of fucking blood. He's in this movie. And he's dressed up as this miniature Indiana Jones. Yeah. A, a teeny Anda Jones, if you will. Yeah, sure we will. And in this movie, he says, hold it right there. And he pulls out this map that looks like a removable insert from a collector's edition of the George R.R. R. Martin novels. You know, the kind of thing that true fans aren't going to buy until he finishes that final book. The hell, George? You know? Yeah. The show ended years ago and you're still banging around in your Smith Corona. You're like that one sad sack badass that's struggling to cross the finish line of a marathon 12 hours after they took down the final finish line. Get your shit together, Martin. I love it that everyone's like, when are you going to finish that book? And he's just like, I don't know, whenever. Maybe tomorrow, maybe never. <laughs> what he holds up is not a map that anyone would use to navigate to anywhere in the world. Where X marks the spot, it's just like <laughs> there's a science fact there or something. Like, it's purely a placemat situation. <laughs> Along with them, there's this South American Sherpa, and he's kind of the head of this crew. And he's got this awesome, laughable accent, and he's like, Good thing you didn't tell us where you are going. And then <laughs> Teeny Anna Jones says, Why is that? toad boy and i'm like hey man that actor playing the sherpa he's a handsome guy there's no visible reason you would call him toad boy it's not like he's got pockmarked skin or like a neck bloat i was like maybe he's into licking hallucinogenic toads then it would be a compliment Eh, unless he's got a problem with it in which case (laughs) it's phil like really rubbing his face and like toad head like any frog you can find he's like dude (laughs) yeah that's even the right time yeah I gotta have it, man. I'm trying to get my fix. Once you've had the taste, you chase the dragon the rest of your (laughs) life. (laughs) This Sherpa goes on to say, This place is dangerous. A ship stopped here and left behind treasure. It must be a big treasure to hide it so far away. And Teeny Anna Jones says, Yeah, well, I'll let you have some of what we find and I'll let it have some of you. And the Sherpa says, What did you say? And it like distantly you hear, Hey, kitties. <laughs> and then he just randomly orders a bunch of dudes to like, It's here. Start digging. The cavern's three feet below us. And they're like, How do you know that? And he's like, I know. Just start digging. Yeah, it's this Canadian equivalent of the Well of Souls or an okay of souls, if you will. <laughs> then just cut to them in this cavern. Uh-huh. Because we're not wasting time with this movie. This movie clocks in at a tidy 87 minutes, which I appreciate. They lower down Teeny Anna Jones into this well of souls, and he's being lowered down by his arm, and it looks terribly painful to be dropped down into this pit in such a fashion yeah they should have just opened an umbrella and let him drift down on that (laughs) 
when he gets to the bottom of the Sherpa, he's really careful to help Teeny Anna Jones off of the rigging harness that was used for this practical stunt. And I wondered whether or not he was his own stuntman. You think he got like double wages or time and a half? <laughs> they actually hired a child, four-year-old. <laughs> no, they can take a punch. Those skulls heal real good. <laughs> there are torches down in this pit. And one of the day laborers looks over and says, this is not a treasure chest. It is a casket. And then Teeny Anna Jones says, you're right, gringo. Cut the straps. And they walk over to this authentic spirit Halloween store Halloween <laughs> coffin. <laughs> That is covered in, by my estimation, though, at least three, if not four tarantulas. Oh, easily, Chad. I think you're looking at a cool <laughs> baker's dozen. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. This movie is on a budget. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we don't have tarantula money. Ball up one of your socks. Tape some pipe cleaners to it. That'll work. This genus class did wonderful with the decorations, didn't they, kitties? You could say they were class frowns. <laughs> Dude, I hate puns and this type of low-rent wordplay. <laughs> it fucking, it drives me up the goddamn wall. That was one of the things I didn't like about the TV show. I was like, this is just stupid. It is, but it's, again, I like, I have a lot of time for this shit. I know... <laughs> I know, but I, I don't like puns, but you give me a corpse puppet spitting out puns and cackling. I'm all right with it. One of the day laborers, he cuts the straps on this spirit Halloween store, Halloween coffin, and they pop off the top and inside is a prop skeleton covered in spirit Halloween store, Halloween cobwebs. And it is covered, Bo, by my estimation, the same three, if not four tarantulas <laughs> that we just saw on the outside, but now placed on the inside of the coffin. You can tell that they're the same ones because they're credited in the credits it's like you know gary was both tarantula one and tarantula seven and here the sherpa he sees the skeleton and he says what the fuck it's not bad it's not bad dude they saw at least 10 skeletons on their way in what makes this one worth such a proclamation well, this one is a little more leathery uh, slash plastic. When, when he's like, what the fuck is this? Phil, Teeny Andrew Jones, is like, that is the meanest bitch in the world. Boys meet Lilith. I watched this movie with my wife and she immediately asked me, is that the Lilith? To which I thought, is she talking about Lilith Crane? But then I didn't say that out loud because I've been married long enough to know that that wasn't the right thing to say. And instead I was like, I don't know. And then she schooled me on the fact that Lilith is this figure in like the Jewish faith and Lilith appears as Adam's first wife created at the same time that Adam was created from the same clay. And I was like, oh snap, did Eve know Adam was married before they hooked up in the G-O-E? And then she said, look, Lilith evolved into this modern day culture, excuse me. And then Lilith evolved into a modern day, like culture symbol of, of a demon within fantasy and horror novels yep. to which I looked at my wife and I said, oh, that Lilith. Yeah, it's probably the same Lilith in this movie. And then she said, did you wake me up the other night to tell me that Cletus was in the Dukes of Hazard movie? And I said, no, and sat happily knowing that she never listens to this podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so the little fella here, he's got a box that's got uh, a heart in it. It's a fancy little puzzle box thing. It looks like four rotting red new potatoes. Yes, but like the display kind that you can't really eat because they like shellacked them or something. <laughs> right. But what happens is he opens up the like slots in the box and these four pieces of a heart come together and yep. they, they fuse and... Then he says, you got to put it in the chest, the skeleton chest. 
Uh-huh. And he puts it in there, and the body starts reforming itself. Tiniana Jones says he's been looking for this lady for 10 years, which I thought, what year is this taking place? Because based on Tiniana Jones's outfit and the Canadian Uki of Souls, there's this lack of modern-day technology. And I was thinking, oh, we're in the 1940s. Yeah. Aside from the fact that Tiniana Jones has this fantastic mullet, and he's got this Harrison Ford-inspired earring stud in his left earlobe. But I chalked all that up to shitty production values and a lack of concern regarding fashion sense and temporal continuity. But I didn't know when the hell this movie was starting off. No, there's no real clear indication. And and even when you get back to the real world or whatever, not real world, but, you know, civilization. But why don't they give us a timestamp? Like in the tier of Del Fuego earlier, just say present day or like 1990, whatever this came out in. I guess their thinking was A, who cares? And B... If we care? if we don't specifically say we're back in time, you as the audience can assume we're in just plain old present day. Wrong. Right. So but he also says here, like, I really know how to turn a woman on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ugh. And then the heart stops beating. It was beating for a second. Then it stops. And Tiniana Jones is like, what the fuck? And he's <laughs> like punching her in the chest like he's giving her CPR. Like, live, damn you, live. That's how my dad used to try to fix the TV. He would just beat it and smash it with his hands and swear at it. I like how Tiniana Jones bangs on everything with his tiny little hands. His hands aren't tiny like Donald Trump's hands, but they're like normal tiny, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. When I was a teenager... I worked one summer delivering pizza for a national chain that used to be the sponsor of the NFL, but isn't now because uh-huh. uh, the owner of the chain that it's named after is a racist. And I worked for a manager who was a small man, but he wasn't a little person. He was like five feet tall and he had tiny little hands. And he told me that he liked having tiny hands because it made everything he touched seem bigger. And then he cited his own penis as well as the breast of the women that he would have sex with. And he also had a crippling cocaine addiction. Oh, all right. I was like, well, he seems to be living quite the high life (laughs) with all the masturbation and booby touching. (laughs) But then the cocaine came in and... (laughs) Right. Now it's just, you know, less than less than zero because he was shorter. (laughs) The Sherpa goes over and picks up Tiniana Jones by the scruff of his collar. And uh, he's got like a schoolyard bully. I was wondering, like, does this Sherpa feel like a big man, you know, picking up this tiny man in the air? Normally, you got to be like a bodybuilder to pick a guy like that. But Tiniana Jones is teeny. And in this case, it's like the Sherpa's picking up a golden retriever or like a prize winning pumpkin or something. One of the hired hands screams out in rudimentary Spanish, enough for me to know that he's saying boss look over here and they turn around and they start to see blood pouring out from the spirit halloween store uh, authentic coffin and they pop up in the top and they see inside that the mummy has now formed into more of a flesh covered skeleton and there's all of these orange sparkles that start to reanimate the body mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, red bull as the skin returns to the muscles over the bones the eyes fill in on the skull and they bulge out of the eye sockets and she screams out tell them large mark sent ya. And meanwhile, Phil uh, Ferricondo here is just like, it's the mother of all vampires. Uh-huh. And then as he celebrates the return of his dark mistress, mm-hmm. she punches the hearts out of two dudes, which sounds better than it is. This all looks real cheap. Mm-hmm. Well, it's Mola Rom style. We are doing a Teeny Anda Jones movie, so we gotta have people ripping out hearts. She grabs another dude by the head 
and uh-huh. just kind of squeezes it and pops it. But mm-hmm. it's a really, really shitty dummy head. Yeah. And HD, by the way, does this movie no favors. Not <laughs> at all. Standard def is where this movie needs to live. You know what? You should probably go swimming for a half hour with your eyes open <laughs> underwater, then watch this movie, and you're right on point. And at a distance. Like, don't get real close up. Just stay back. After popping the head, Lilith is going after Phil, but he has the key from the first movie, Demon Knight. Don't nobody know that. Yeah, nobody knew, Chad. Key from the first movie. Yeah, and he says, you don't go to the movies much, do ya? When Miguel says, hey, what is that fucking thing? Uh-huh. Then he says uh, it, it allows him to c- control Lilith. Uh, it looks like the kind of thing you stick on the staff of Ra to find the Well of Souls. Yes, it, it really does. In the in the first film, it was a relic that held the blood of a martyr. I didn't see that. It, it's pretty good. Billy Zane's really good. Anyway. I'll take your word for it. Right. And <laughs> you'll never see it. Not at all. Anyway, he basically, Tiniana Jones is like, hey, how about you eat Miguel over there and then we'll go back to America because I have this key and I control you. Right. And And then she... This is where she's like, anything for you, lover. She speaks perfect English. She speaks like she is a a Yeti on HGH in this movie. Like everything is a growl or I think it's supposed to be a purr. Like every line, that was probably her direction. Like try to purr these lines. You're trying to be seductive. And it comes out like. It's like a guttural Jessica Rabbit. Yes. Hey doll, what do you think about this? Hey lover, what do you think of these boobs? Katinka, Katinka. And then she shoots a a super tongue out at Miguel, which like impales him or something. It goes up his ass, right? It's like this triple extra large Gene Simmons tongue that's got to be four feet long. And it just whips into the air and goes up the Sherpa's butt. And he just screams out in pain. And I'm thinking, some men pay top dollar for that kind of service. It's long distance salad tossing lover. (laughs) (laughs) Throw me the rectum. I throw you the whip. Let's cut to William Sadler dressed up in a spirit Halloween store mummy costume. Boy, this is the last time you're gonna see a real actor in this movie william sadler is yeah he's like a mummy director and the whole shtick is that he's kind of giving you like i i love you baby to like some people passing by and but his first line of dialogue is then she rips his face off and she eats him right. which kind of bridges the previous scene with where we are now it's a real harsh cut and i was like hey this movie doesn't know how to tell a story at all because with this moment we're looking at this like cartoon mummy man and he's capping off the line of dialogue that is arguably related to maybe what we just saw which questions whether or not anything in the first 10 minutes of this movie even mattered was that all just like legend and story or was it real well, therein lies the crux of Tales from the Crypt, Chad, is... Who gives are, a shit? These are all tales being told. I mean, that's the premise, right? Like, this is all a story that is being told to us as all the right. audience. And anyway, uh, as he's doing this shtick about seeing this guy across the room, he's like, he was a dick when he was alive. He never called me. What do you think of when you see William Sadler? I think of the first Tales from the Crypt movie. <laughs> I think about him as death in uh, the Bill and Ted film. Yeah, that's kind of my number two. I think of him uh, in both uh, Shawshank and The Mist uh, are both great, like, William Sadler performances. Um, you might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later, you dance with the Reaper. <laughs> you sink my battleship. Smokey and the Bandit 3. Smokey is the Bandit. That's the 
funniest goddamn line in that whole movie. That is a great line. When I heard he was coming back for the new Bill and Ted movie, <laughs> I could not have been happier. I was like, great, great. The Butch and Sundance, the, the early years. years. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful performance. William Sadler is one of the most underrated character actors out there. He is fucking fantastic. You want you want a solid actor to just anchor a scene? William Sadler is your guy. Anyway, it turns out that the Crypt Keeper doesn't give a shit about William Sadler or his story. And William Sadler is like, yes, I know that we've got uh, an issue. This tomb isn't big enough for the both of us. What? All right. So they're going to play a game of rock paper scissors and the loser gets part of their anatomy cut off and they rochambeau and the crib keeper loses william sadler cuts off his hand mm-hmm. and the crib keeper then is, is like well looks like i'm in for the fright of my life <laughs> and now he's a bit of scarnal knowledge and it's Bordello of Blood. And now we're into the movie pro. And the comic book turns into the first frame of our film proper. And it's really strange because the title of the movie says Tales from the Crypt presents Bordello of Blood because this movie does everything wrong it possibly can. The house that we are shown behind the title of the movie, it isn't the Bordello of Blood. In fact, it is the farthest thing from a Bordello that one could imagine. It looks like a house from Wisteria Lane or the establishing shot of like, the opening of happy days like a classical whorehouse it is not Bo. well in lynchian terms you could find an ear in this yard sure that ain't what we're doing yeah Yeah. instead you go inside and here's erica alaniac the lovely baywatch actress on a stationary bike listening to a revival preacher what's his name jimmy current is his name Uh reverend current jc jesus Uh christ Now, do you remember the first time you saw Erica Aliniak in a motion picture, Bo? Uh, it was probably this. No, she was in E.T. She was the girl that, that Elliot kissed when E.T. got all drunk oh. and they let all the frogs loose. Oh, yeah. Pay attention. You know, I saw that movie when I was a kid and then again once as an adult, and I swear I'd never watch it again. Your heart is made of stone, my friend. I know. E.T. just doesn't connect with me. Anyway, it's not the point. So uh, she's listening to her preacher. (laughs) And she's exercising. You want to know why? Because she used to be a fat porno star. More on that later. Well, really? Anyway. Yes, really. In his bedroom, Caleb, as played by Corey Feldman... Her younger brother. Right. Is piercing his own tongue, I think. With a hole punch? While he's listening to rock music. He's using a hole punch, right? That's how you do it? I guess. We don't actually see it. We just see him putting his tongue in this device. Right. And then Maybe nothing. he should use like a twenty-two. I like a nail gun. Seems to do it quick. I like it quick. <laughs> and uh, he's listening to his, his darn rock music real loud. Mm-hmm. Erica Laniac storms into his bedroom and is like, Corey Feldman, half the neighborhood can hear this music. And he goes, oh, is that right? And so he cranks it up. He's like, here's for the other half, sis. Oh, he's just a little shithead, this movie. You're not my mom. You're my sister. Exposition, exposition. Finally, she like turns the music off and he's like, great, I'm heading out anyway. She's like, please, Caleb, stay home. Don't be an asshole. Fuck you. He actually says, fuck off. Then we cut to a bar where a guy is getting a Crypt Keeper tattoo because we can't self-reference enough in this movie. I don't know. 
And he's playing darts with his friends, one of which straight up looks like Corey Haim, but it's not Corey Haim. I know that you and I talked about doing this movie, and I really, in my heart of heart, thought both Corys were in this movie, but they're not, but they kind of are. There is a stand-in. He looks just like him. But he's only in it for about 12 seconds. He gets his dick pierced with a dart while they're playing this game of throw a dart at your friend's dick for money. Yeah, that's the whole game. It's just like, hey, I'm going to bet you this dude is going to stand in front of the dartboard. They're going to place bets on whether or not when Corey Feldman throws this dart, it's going to hit this dude. And so Corey Feldman, being the good friend that he is, doesn't even try and just nails this guy in the dick with a dart i thought it was the money was like i'll give you ten dollars if you hit him in the dick i'll give you twelve dollars if you hit him in the dick i'll give you fourteen dollars and i was like you know what i'll hit him in the dick and he hits him in the dick maybe so because i thought the other guy like outbid everybody but maybe he was just like sorry and we just thought it'd be funny for you to get hit in the dick Corey feldman uh and his pals then toast to eventually getting laid then we meet jenkins dude this guy <laughs> is crinkton 12 for this movie he looks like he is either a a cracked out john rambo uh-huh or jack palance's long lost son or the david arquette motorcycle club president uh was was another one i had a, a list of a few of just like who is this guy but gary uh, Busey's twin brother mayhem from those insurance commercials if he went undercover as a dirt bag it's in the ballpark but anyway he's like you guys want to get laid and they're like, uh, yeah. And he goes, I know a place you'll get fucked so hard. You will have to crawl home three days later. It's the best goddamn piece of ass in the whole goddamn world. They got girls that are do things you don't eat. They don't even have a name for. And I'm like, well, clearly this movie was made before Urban Dictionary showed up. Urban Dictionary, where everything normal is somehow deviant. Everything deviant is somehow normal. Urban Dictionary, proud sponsor of Pick Six Movies. You know, Chad, when they talk about <laughs> crawling home three days later, like the worst thing that ever happened to me as a result of a fucking uh-oh was maybe like a bruised pelvis, uh-huh. some scratches, maybe some bruises here and there you know when you're having a good time but that's it (laughs) it sounds painful right three days i know and chad that brings us to tonight's to to tonight's segment of pick six movies family feud yes so chad 100 people surveyed top eight answers on the board give it to me question is what are the most common sexual injuries in the butt. I don't know that that's an injury. Broken penis. Yes. Number two on our list. Fractured penis. Lacerated bat curtains. You know what? I'm going to give you carpet burn. Carpet burn for number three. Burned acid throat. Show me gargling with something nasty. <laughs> uh, that's our, our, our first strike. Mm, how about chafed fingertips show me digititis Uh, that's a that's another strike dislodged jaw show me michael douglas syndrome i'm gonna give that one to you judges (laughs) that is number six pulled muscles (laughs) all right unwanted pregnancy you know what i'm gonna give that one to you too number four missing foreign objects in the vagina (laughs) that can be semen all right you got uh four more 
including the number one answer. Number one answer is still out there. Painful semen removal. <laughs> Show me suction with some gumption. That's our third strike. Uh, all right, Dexter family, you have a chance to steal. <laughs> Top answer still remains. Total of four answers remaining. 100 people surveyed. Top eight answers on the board. Most common sexual injuries. Dexter family, can you steal? Hmm. Is this like when the curry is too spicy and it makes your pee hole all swolled up real bad and you can't get the pipe cleaner down there? Mm -hmm. Then the caramel gets too cold and stuck in your back hair and you just have to start over. Sure. Show me Tuesday at the Dexter's. <laughs> Food irritant. That's right. You're yeah. a winner. Woohoo! You've beat Chad, you've humiliated him, brought shame to his family for generations. Well done, Dexter family. Now, beat it. Chad, I'm afraid the Dexter family has stolen. Damn. And, uh, and you get nothing. You Gosh, get nothing. Don, Don, Number one Don. answer, vaginal tears. Number five answer. Well, that's what I meant by the bat wing lacerations. Nah, I gave you carpet burn. Just you're lucky Damn. you got that one. And then, uh, uh, I grew up in a different part of town. Num number eight, urinary tract infections. Jesus Christ. Who are they talking to? Nasty women, Chad. And of course, uh, <laughs> number seven that the Dexter family stole with, and that is food irritation, uh, from, uh, uh peppers and foreign objects. Uh, being inserted into holes. That's a real thing. Good job, America. I want to point out that uh, during this scene, they're still showing opening credits in this movie. It's really unsettling that you're a good 25 minutes into this film and you're still seeing the names of people you don't give a shit about that are in this film. The only movie that pulled this off successfully was Raising Arizona, but they are in a class all their own. They also had someone yodeling Beethoven when they finally got around to credits and, you know, not so much with Bordello Blood. You're lucky if you get a My Chemical Romance <laughs> out of this. Jenkins tells these four douchebags, you need to go to 325 Beaumont Street and ask for a <coughs> Cunningham Wake. <coughs> all right, what? He could be D'Onofrio from Men in Black. Men in You're Black. right. Yeah. It's 100% D'Onofrio from Men in Black. But Yeah, so Corey Feldman and only one of his pals. Uh, not Corey Haim. Uh, decide to go to the, the old funeral home. The other guys are like, fuck that. That's a, did you get a look at that guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not taking prostitute advice. From the guy who snorted his <laughs> way through the pitch. And so they knock on the door of this uh, funeral home, this mortuary. Where does this movie take place, Bo? Is it like Little New Orleans in Winnipeg or something? It's the French <laughs> Quarter of Vancouver. It's just, <laughs> just due east of Tierra del Fuego. And so they knock on the door and like a Jerry Garcia sans sunglasses opens up. <laughs> From that, like, a Shade of Grey video, that, that era of Grateful Dead. Yeah, he's the mortician that owns the funeral home. McCutcheon. Hello, <laughs> may I help you boys? You here for the Cunningham Wake? Wink, wink. Yeah, we're here to get laid. That's a pretty good Feldman now that I think about it. He gets taken to this coffin. The two of them. Both of them. And they're told to get in together. And of course, there's a moment of game. At gunpoint, Bo. The dude pulls a gun on them and says, get in the coffin if you want to fuck whores. Right. It's like, look, you fucked up the second you went. So when you try to back out and the guy pulls a gun on you and is like, get in the fucking coffin. You bought that ticket. You the the minute you knocked on that door, if somebody pulled a gun on you, you're in a whorehouse. You and I have both had guns pulled on us. That's right. 
You had a gun pulled on you working at a fast food establishment, That's and right. I had a gun pulled on me working for the aforementioned pizza joint. Yeah. Look at us. We have so much in common, you and me. We should do a show. Yeah, it's what we bonded over, really, is... You had a gun pulled on you? Me too. Remember when your life flashed before your eyes and you thought, well, this is it. Oh, boy. That's when I started drinking more. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like such a great idea. <laughs> And continues to be, quite frankly. They get thrown in this coffin. They get shoved through. At first, it goes through a fire like it's a crematorium. But then it goes on this little roller coaster ramp down into a sexy basement. Uh Uh-huh. It's a real boobatorium. A pair of boobs opens the coffin based on how the camera uh, reads it. I'm so glad I did not see this in the theater. (laughs) I would have been so embarrassed. I would have felt like it's me and a dude with a trench coat. You know, it is. This is such a sleazy movie. There are huge breasts that fill up the entire frame of the film for an uncomfortably long period of time. It's like three seconds, but it feels like half an hour. And these boys are led into what can only be called a bacchanal. And they're just like tits are out all over the place. There's a fat guy being led around by a collar and a leash, and he's making this noise. <laughs> There's this skinny looking Ron Jeremy type. By that, I mean he's like 10 pounds skinnier than Ron Jeremy. It's just a Hieronymus Bosch nightmare painting. This one prostitute comes over to not Corey Haim and she says, How would you like to take the skin express to Tuna Town? And she says this because maybe what? He might be a cop, and this keeps her from incriminating herself but for me if a woman came up and asked me if i wanted to go to tuna town the answer Bo, is a resounding no thank you i do not you know what you should go shower and then see a doctor you are in need of immediate professional gynecological help if you are describing your vagina as tuna town i chalked this up to uh the 13 year old ghost writer in mrs greenbaum's class i mean she's just like oh yeah you gotta take that skin boy to tuna town it's sexy i think they just they walked out of grumpier old men and they were like <laughs> tuna town right. what a funny line yeah that was great when when burgess meredith is chasing around women in a grocery store with his cock out trying to fuck him and he's 95 and you're like well it's kind of funny kind of it's seen with walter Matthau and ann margaret where he's like how about i take you to tuna town not Corey Haim. he goes off with this tuna town prostitute but not to be outdone another prostitute who shockingly is not exposing her breast in this movie she comes over to Corey feldman and she says i want it fast and dirty and she circles her nipple with her index finger which oddly enough is how i order a vodka martini at most bars oh i didn't realize that was the code weirdly let me tell you about why i wear my pockets inside out later <laughs> <laughs> we cut to not Corey Haim and he's making out with his prostitute and they're in a bedroom and on the neck of the prostitute are two spirit Halloween store authentic vampire bite neck adhesives and uh, that lets us know that she has been bitten once and she is now twice shy. You know, her name, by the way, Chad, is Tallulah, uh-huh. but when I hear when she says her name is Lula's mama... <laughs> because i'm broken as a person so when she's like scratching his neck Uh and getting blood blood. and licking her finger i'm like you wanna fuck (laughs) 
<laughs> that is a much finer film than this. And it's arguably more disturbing than this. Absolutely. And one could even argue it's sleazier than this and still 90 times better. How is it doing this movie better than what this movie does, but somehow this movie fails to be as engaging as that movie? Well, Willem Dafoe with weird teeth will get you a long way. And also not having prostitutes saying things like, you want to take the skin book to two to town? This is a snakeskin jacket. And for me, it is a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. I apologize for referring to you boys as homosexuals. It's one of the greatest, like, mini speeches in film history. If you don't know what the hell we're talking about, we're talking about Wild at Heart. Yes. Sorry. We're kind of telling this story backwards. By all means, see David Lynch's Wild at Heart. <laughs> you will never be the same. It is tremendous. While Lula's mama is, is screwing with Corey Haim, uh, or not Corey Haim, Lilith enters and is like, Hey, lover, I see you've warmed him up for me. But it's full Angie Everhart. And again, she's a lovely woman. Yeah, of course she is. But she talks in this movie like she is on some kind of like weird goat paralyzer. Mind if I cut in because I'm the boss. My hoes get them ready and then I finish them off. And then she gives him the long tongue down his throat. Dude, it goes into his chest. Yes. And pushes his heart out of his chest cavity. This is not biologically accurate. (laughs) No, well, it's not like the human centipede, Chad. It's not scientifically accurate. Wouldn't his gag reflexes kick in and he would just involuntarily vomit all over her? Uh, What if he vomited up his heart and she's like, thank you, lover. But instead, she pushes out of his chest into her hand and then she takes a bite out of his heart. Uh-huh. And this is the stupidest fucking thing that may be said in this movie. Oh, really? It's, I mean, look, there's a lot of horses in that race. Uh-huh. But don't eat your heart out, baby. That's <laughs> my job. Hank. That is a god-awful fucking line. And then we cut from this over to Corey Feldman and Patrice, his, his sex worker du jour. Uh, another full set of breasts. This time there are three nipples on it. Two breasts and three nipples with three big silver rings pierced through them. Good luck explaining that when you try to get through airport security in about six years, lady. And of course, Corey Feldman says, I was looking for a girl with something extra. Ugh. And then they make out for a little bit and we see bite marks on Patrice's neck also. Yeah, they're all vampires. It's almost like that somebody saw the movie Vamp. And then Lilith busts in and is like, hey, what a little deep throat. And then the movie fades to black. Yes. And we are to assume that Corey Feldman is now dead, right? Why wouldn't we think that? There's no reason for us to think that Lilith the vampire wouldn't have killed Corey Feldman too. Right. But fortunately, Chad, at the 21 minute mark of this film, we're introduced to our hero uh, of the movie. I guess we're in a police station and the filmmakers have taken Erica Aleniak and they made her look like the mother of three who suspects that her husband is cheating on her with her best friend's wife in some lifetime movie of the week. She looks 10 years older than she should. She's a beautiful woman, but she looks like a Karen. If you saw a reenactment starring her in this outfit about a woman who drove a minivan full of kids into a lake. You'd believe it. Yeah, it's, it's right on track. It's also weird because when you see her earlier, she looks like this 22-year-old religious cycling enthusiast. But here she looks like she's refusing to divulge the secret ingredient for her macaroni salad recipe that's the envy of every church potluck. By the way, it's paprika. 
she's the Stepford wife that already was converted when the lady moved in, you know? <laughs> what's, what's up with her? Oh, that's Roger's wife. Mm. Erica's at this police station and she's saying, my brother's been missing for days. And the cop says, look, lady, you got people missing all over the place. I'll get to your brother after I find all these other missing people. And I'm like, hey, man, the first 48 hours are really critical. You know what? You're not doing your job very right, cop. And uh, sitting nearby, like a pimp at a Greyhound station... <laughs> Is Dennis Miller just hanging around this police station looking for desperate people upon whom he can prey in such a fashion to get them to hire him as a private detective? He's eavesdropping on this whole conversation and he's just like, he's kind of giggling to himself because his whole character in this film is someone who is completely bemused by everything going on around him. Everything. Yes. Dennis Miller does this move where he giggles before he says something something to let you know uh uh-oh a joke is coming because he's laughing at it before he says it so it's gonna be funny and here he goes (laughs) fucking cabs are unbelievable babe i've not seen this type of negligent police work since bernard left his solitary round of ammo in the front breast pocket of his backup standard issue dress shirt (laughs) babe idiot he basically accosts erica lediac and gives gives her his card uh-huh. and there is a gag that i do like in this movie this running gag where he's like hey i'm gonna need that card back babe and it's all just kind of tattered and busted anyway he's like look the police are full of shit babe let's get out of here i'm a private detective rafe gutman huh huh that do anything for you? Yeah, don't don't bother remember that name. He's just Dennis Miller right. doing his Dennis Miller thing. Cut immediately to a downtown city street full of pawn shops and storefronts with metal security grates pulled down over them. And we see Dennis Miller jogging to catch up to Erica saying, hey, hey wait up. And is this police station on the same street as all of these storefronts that are boarded up for the night? The continuity of this movie is so poor. And speaking of continuity errors, there are missing pages of the script of this film that are not in this movie. Starting here, there's this whole thing where he's like, look, uh, I gotta tell you, I never forget a face, babe, and I think I recognize you. He takes her down like one block from the police station where his office is located in an abandoned movie theater and up on the marquee it says, now playing Dennis Miller Detective Agency or whatever the hell his name is. And all the while, Dennis Miller is just saying like, babe, (laughs) I I know you from somewhere. You look, you look so familiar, you know? (laughs) And I know this is never going to be addressed in the movie Bordello of Blood, but you look so familiar, babe. (laughs) While he's talking to her about how shitty the police are and how he knows that he knows her from somewhere, Uh his ex-wife apparently... Uh calls and he's just like hang on a second babe i gotta take this call it's my ex-wife and boy not since the germans made their way through france has a company been so unwanted (laughs) and then he goes to this call and she starts wandering around his office this abandoned movie theater and holds up a poster and you can see part of the name chubby o'toole all right we gotta stop here yes Because it turns out that Erica's character, this is not in the movie, but based on internet, she used to be a porn star. Yes. And she was a fat porn star. And because Dennis Miller has kind of this Pep Strebeck quality to him, he is able to retain all of his porno information, you know, like this walking, you know, encyclopedia of fuck movies. And that's why he knows who she is in this Rain Man recall of avian award recipients. And 
If Erica is a porn star, again, not in the movie, but that's what's going on. Why is she so religious now? Is she trying to like get back in the fold? Right. I think that's the, that was the gag of the character is that she is a former porn, chubby porn star turned Uh religious nut to kind of make up for her, her illicit ways. And you can tell that she had a line there as she's holding this poster. Right. And they ADR over it, like this really shitty job of ADR, by the way, where it sounds very different. And you just hear her say, what a sleaze. Uh-huh. And I don't know what the original line was, but this is an entirely dropped thread because there's one other time, I think in the movie, he says, look, I know I know you. Then it's just completely dropped. It's never brought up again. Erica tells Dennis Miller, my brother and I had a fight. He went out with his friends and he got drunk. And normally when this happens, he comes home, but not this time. And I'm like, is that your brother or your husband? Are you sure? And uh, Dennis Miller says, look, babe, I need the names of your <laughs> your brother's friends and their, their phone numbers and their addresses and maybe some clues and some leads. And if you know the, <laughs> the current location of your brother's whereabouts, that would be really helpful in finding him for you. And then Erica fishes this photo out of her brother and she hands it over to him and as she's kind of like going through her purse Dennis Miller gives her this real head to toe toe to head thing and he checks her out she's like what are you looking at and Dennis Miller says oh, babe, I know you from somewhere are you sure we haven't met babe and she's like yeah we haven't met she's like how much is this going to cost me and Dennis Miller says it's, it's going to be $150 a day plus expenses cha cha and dude that is the equivalent of $250 into today's currency sure that is a lot of money i take my chances with the lazy cops when she balks at that he says hey look babe we've got a half price sale in lost brother so uh don't worry about it i mean basically i'm it's the Lindbergh special. Uh-huh. When Dennis Miller is talking to his wife, he makes a comment about how being married to her almost turned him gay. You brought me perilously close to homosexuality, babe. That's a new one on me. But then I thought, you know what? There is an outtake from the original Back to the Future where Doc and Marty, they're on the street before the lightning storm. And Marty says, ah, gee, Doc, I can't believe I'm going to fill up my own mother. This is the kind of thing that could screw me up permanently. What if I go back to the future and i end up being gay and considering that zemeckis and gail were behind this turd bad marriage is leading to homosexuality conversion is a real step up over the whole mother-son incest leading to i guess what you would call reverse gay conversion therapy although i doubt very seriously zemeckis or gail had any line like that in the script that this is just dennis miller just look i'm just throwing out what comes off the top of the old peanut babe they filmed a scene in back to the future where Mar- Marty said feeling his mom's tits would make him gay. That's not a bridge too far in this movie that he's gonna. Yeah, you're right. That nope. he's gonna say a bad marriage might make him a homosexual. Poor Erica Leniak here is just like I've got to get out of here. And I worked with Spielberg. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's all downhill from there. Dennis Miller says the most horrifying thing that Dennis Miller can ever say to a person. Oh, God. Go on. Listen, babe. <laughs> I'm all you got. When she finds this chubby O'Toole in Thunder Thighs Triple X, does that lead us to believe that Dennis Miller's office is in an abandoned porno theater? I would presume so, yes. You know, the Roxy Theater in our hometown used to show porno movies. Ah, those were the days. 
When I was a kid, I went and looked at some microfiche at the local university to see what movies were playing in our hometown. And they were all pornos at the Roxy Theater. Sorry, I mean at the local theater. You're more likely to get me there with porn than you are the local regional production of our town that is going to happen on the yearly at the Roxy. You remember when we went to see the stage production of Romeo and Juliet starring Michael Douglas's brother? Was it Eric Douglas? Eric Douglas. Yeah. And he came out on stage. We were told to applaud for him as the local star in our fucking shithole town. I remember our English teacher said, when Eric Douglas comes out on stage, we should all applaud for him because he's the star of the performance. And someone in the class said, you mean the way that they do when the Fonz shows up on Happy Days? And the look in her eyes was just like, fuck you. Yeah, just pure (laughs) contempt. And rightly so. Rightly so. Of just her like, I'm just trying to get through this fucking day. I thought the kid was right. That's our only frame of reference. We're not going to the theater. When the Fonz comes out. When Kramer comes out. It's just like, yeah! Woo! (laughs) That's who we're here to see, baby! I also recall that he looked more like Kirk Douglas than Michael Douglas does. Uh And the whole time it was just like, eh, what light by yonder window breaks? It was terrific. I remember during the final Q&A, our friend Paul stood up to ask a question. He said, do you feel weird wearing pantyhose on stage? (laughs) And that teacher was just like, Paul F. I mean, again, looking at it as an adult now and just being like, these fucking teenage pricks. I swear to Christ. Like, I can't, I can't take them anywhere without being humiliated fucking monkeys in the zoo it was it was and my heart goes out to any high school teacher just knowing what fucking assholes high school kids are Uh oh man just you can't pay those people enough I remember during that same production, the guy who owned that theater was under local investigation for possibly fucking an underage kid. Yeah. And one of our friends cut out all the newspaper clippings of the reports of him fucking underage kids and just went around and tossed them about like confetti. He just left them hither and yon. It's amazing that more teachers don't shoot their classes. Well, that's what's called good trouble. (laughs) Oh, is it? Really? It sounds more like mob justice. (laughs) We watch Silver Bullet, Chad. We have learned lessons. You remember that guy's boy, Brady? You want to tell him about mob justice? (laughs) Take him out to the hogs, man. What are we talking about here? So Dennis Miller, using the one clue that he has, goes to the yes goes to this bar <laughs> where zeke one of cory feldman's buddies in this other weird yeah one of the, the two douchebags that were playing nut darts also known as ballywag i don't know why <laughs> poppycock <laughs> right dick spear pointy balls it's just called so they're playing pool Dennis Miller is wandering stalking the table behind Zeke and it's just like oh listen babe you're not gonna go for that three ball are you (laughs) I mean that thing it's in the bad shot selection my friend they're about to make a Minnesota fat mistake if I could say so (laughs) why was Dennis Miller in this movie a million dollars Chad one million dollars there are a million reasons Dennis Miller was in this movie but in the 90s if you were a comedian you kind of had like a handful of paths forward you could either stay a stand-up and do what you do best you could get a sitcom maybe get a talk show or you would transition to movies and you know brian regan he followed that first path and he is one of the best comedians of the past 
20, 30 years. He is a comedian's comedian. And the sitcom path was taken by many. Sure. Successfully by few. You have Seinfeld and Roseanne Barr, you know, among others. Sure. Tim Allen. And then the talk show path was was worn by maybe Jon Stewart in a very, you know, surrealistic way, Gary Shandling. And then the transition to movies was a real grab bag for comics that basically sort of took the stand-up comic persona and then put it into a feature film. You know, the way Bobcat Goldthwait transitioned into those Police Academy movies was an example of how you sort of take that persona and just plug it into a film. Like Pauly Shore with Biodome and, you know, whatever the hell other forgettable titles he did was the same thing. You had Dice Clay and Ford Fairlane. Dennis Leary pulled it off in The Ref. And I kind of feel like that's sort of what's happening here to some degree. Yeah, like Dennis Miller popped up in The Net, the the Sandy Bullock internet movie. John Stewart was in The Faculty, which was a, you know, kind of a weird blend. And in that, he wasn't funny. No. And it was almost like awkward to see him in that role. Well, because he was bad. Right. And it's a terrible movie. Hey, we should do a season about that. Well, you could just do John Stewart misfires at this point and probably fill up a season. But (laughs) I, I think you're right. But, you know, like Dennis Miller had his own talk show at the time. This was at the height of the the guest war and shit right where it was like jay leno and the tonight show and uh his uh producer kathy bates or whoever kathy bates played in that tv movie sure was telling guests like hey if, if you show up on the tonight show you can't show up on these shows and dennis miller was the real like fight the power damn the man leno is strong arming us out of this business that kind of stuff like all that was going on at roughly the same time that he was doing this movie and he just did not give a shit about this movie even a little bit it is all over his face in every frame you know who is a an incredible stand-up who should only do stand-up chris rock yeah i agree with that he's in that saw spinoff that's coming out when movie theaters decide to open up again he's either producing or directing it did you see he's going to be in that next season of fargo it's like this 40s era gangster piece with jason schwartzman I'm down. That Fargo show's great. Look, I wish Chris Rock all the best. I prefer him as a stand-up because everything else I've ever seen him on as an actor, it's just second to the incredible work that he produces as a comedian. Sure. Back to the pool hall. Oh, right, right, right. He corners this fourth douchebag who's not Zeke. And this guy's doing an impression of Butthead with the nose curl and the greased up hair. And he's all like, oh, oh. And Dennis Miller says, hey, babe, where's your friend Corey Feldman, babe? And Butthead says like, oh, oh. He has that 25 Beaumont. That's where the whores are. Oh, oh. And then Dennis was like, hey, cha-cha, thanks a lot. I'm going to head off to uh, Beaumont. So he goes to the funeral home slash whorehouse. Mm-hmm. And it's daytime and apparently a real funeral is taking place and for some strange reason the owner of the funeral home the mortician mcclutchin um he's giving the eulogy at this particular funeral talk about a triple threat bone <laughs> yeah he can autopsy do the uh the guest greeting and deliver a eulogy he can give you a whole package for about 87 dollars <laughs> among the mourners is that weirdo jenkins who we last saw at the bar and he is the one who lured the two Corys earlier to the bordello and in this scene he's sitting at the, the funeral and he's just slathering his arms with sunblock that is like spf 2000 and i'm like is he a vampire well they, yeah they kind of allude to that later and he's also kind of covering up that uh that crypt keeper tattoo which i know is just good tattoo maintenance even though chad between you and me mm-hmm. getting a tattoo based on a movie is pretty stupid 
Speak for yourself. Dennis Miller just stares at this guy as though he's about to crack up laughing as he squirts suntan lotion all over himself. And then nothing really comes from this scene. Moving on. There's the bit about like when they go to carry the coffin out, they like everybody, all the pallbearers are like, Jesus Christ, this thing's heavy as shit. And he's like, huh, it's weird. It's a heavy coffin, babe. It's like somebody stuffed a thing with boron on the surface of Saturn. <laughs> Cha-cha. Then Chris Arandon shows up to class up the joint as... Uh, Jimmy Current, Reverend Jimmy Current, and he's doing, yeah. you know, we, we were talking about this all the year. He's doing his best revival preacher. Yeah, it's like Joel Osteen or Reverend Lovejoy. What I hear is, let us throw our garments upon the waters of the Maytag. Because it's <laughs> when you think, that voice. When you think of Chris Sarandon, who do you think of as one of his most iconic characters? Jerry Dandridge what? from Fright Night. I think of Prince Humperdinck from The Prince. Eh, that too. Both great. Yeah. He's really good in both of those. Yeah. This performance here is really over the top as this mega church preacher. And he's in this giant current world ministries headquarters. And it looks a lot like Robert Schuller's Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. And there's a whole lot of, and the Lord said, uh, <laughs> and we shall, uh, and we shall change all the world. Uh. He's kind of one of those rock and roll preachers because he's got a guitar. Uh, like guitar strapped to his back that's a nice touch dennis miller kind of shows up in the crowd as chris arani is kind of mugging his way across the stage and like no you got to fight the devil uh miller's wearing pleated beige chinos a denim long sleeve shirt rolled up to his elbows and he's got this brown suede jacket for when the sun goes down because bo it gets chilly in ontario or toronto or wherever this film was made he might as well be on the cover of any old navy circa this time period it's just nothing but like khakis and button-ups and whatnot he he is dressed business casual he's got this suede jacket that helps him blend into the white people scenery of this movie too he could be like uh you you remember in the the garden state movie where uh the the scrubs guy like faded into the the wallpaper right and it's that he fades into the 90s perfectly yeah like you could put him in a mall and just where's waldo dennis miller babe (laughs) you'd never find him Reverend Current starts playing his guitar, and he's hopping around on one leg, a lot like my cousin Marvin Barry. (laughs) You gotta listen to this. Uh, Sorry, Chris, you're too darn loud. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> and then, like, as he, he's done with the, the show, it turns out that our Tiniano Jones is, mm-hmm. like, Chris Randon's right-hand man. Surprise, surprise. From the beginning of the movie, we're now, what? Well over the halfway point, Teeny Anna Jones shows up and you're like, wait, that wasn't in the 1940s. That was two weeks ago. Also, uh, Erica Laniac works for him and she's what apparently handling his home shopping network plans, but it seems real like back of the envelope. She's like, hey, I'm just letting you know that everything with that shopping network that you mentioned to be in passing, apparently, well, uh-huh. plans are well underway to make that a thing. And he's like, that sounds good. Uh- and I'm like, don't you have have a team of people working on this you've got like a volunteer who's like i need you to handle all the television uh, make sure that the contracts are signed uh, make sure that the unions have been appropriately consulted uh, dennis miller walks over to the two of them and erica she introduces dennis miller to reverend current as the man that she is hired to find her missing brother and reverend current says oh uh, have you found him yet and dennis miller he's a real dick and he's like hey reverend 
have. I'm on her dime, not yours. Okay, cha-cha. Let's 86 the quid pro quo toot sweet. All right. Uh, why are you being an asshole to this man? Right, but Chris Randon assholes him right back where he's just like, well, uh, I've got a lot of work on my desk anyway. And <laughs> he fucks off. He tears, tells Erica Lady, he's like, hey, I really, <laughs> I really like the show, babe. It's like uh, Superman's dad's joint on Krypton. What are you talking about? Why are you talking that way? You and I are just talking. Have you found my brother? You're doing shtick. Just (laughs) shut up. Then he says, look, babe, I tracked your brother to a whorehouse, a house inhabited by whores. And then uh, she's like, look, I'll pay you, but this investigation is done. If my brother went to a house of ill repute, then leave him there. I don't want to know anything more. I'm done. Bye-bye. So Dennis Miller's off the case now. Movie's over, right? No, because he's like, look, uh, I'm nowhere near off this case, babe. Yes, you are. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I, no, we are. We're done. You're, we're totally done now. No, babe, I could seriously go find your brother. I, I've got a picture. Don't give I a shit. To Zeke. I don't care. You can do whatever you want. I, find him. Don't find you, him. I don't care. You're not worried about your brother? He's blood kin? How about you uh, take my brother and stick him up your ass? How about that? I'm going to give you the half-half price, all right? $25 a day and a box of mac and cheese. I won't right? give you... Wait, hang on. Let me check. Uh, you know what? 12 cents. There you go. There's what I'm... <laughs> That's worth me knowing where my brother is. If it's going to cost right. more than that, how about you fuck right off? I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Beb. I'm going to find your brother, all right? You don't have to pay me a dime, but if I find him, you got to give me one-third of whatever we can sell his body parts. No, absolutely not. <laughs> All right, final offer. Uh-huh. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to find your brother. Okay. And when I bring him to you, I get to keep whatever's in his pockets. No deal. It's not even coming out of your pocket. It's his pockets. Come on, babe. Come on, cha-cha. Hey, if, I, right? if I've got to burn calories turning around to look at that shithead, it's already cost too much. We're going to call this a yes. All right, I'm going to go continue <laughs> on the case even though you said no. But I know what, that when a woman says no, is she what she really means is yes. All right, you can talk to my ex-wife about that. She turned me gay. All right. He takes off to work the case by, dr- by drinking at the local watering hole. Uh-huh. It's where I do my best work. I drink in the shower, so I like to kind of <laughs> consolidate that time. So it's a little contemplation. It's a little <laughs> nip of the dog, because I shower in the mornings. Jenkins, our crazy hype man for the bordello of blood. <laughs> the hype man. <laughs> he's down at the end of the bar, just hammering Bloody Marys, of course. And he's eating raw meat. Of course. How did he even order that? Just bring me some raw meat. Well, just cut a slab <laughs> off the cow's ass, run it through a warm room, and plop it on a plate, little lady. He looks over at Dennis Miller and says, Hey, friend, are you looking for some sex? Because I know a place where you can get the best goddamn piece of ass in the whole goddamn world. And the women do things that don't even have names yet, believe it or not. Go to 325 Beaumont. Ask for the Cunningham Wake. Did I already complain about the goddams in this movie? You know, you haven't complained about them, but they are very pronounced. You know me, Chad. You love a good goddamn in a movie. I, I'm one of the few people you will find who gives a good goddamn. I enjoy them. Stephen Colbert, still the top of that mountain for me. But these are awful, awful yes. uses of the word. It's blasphemous blasphemy. If you're gonna take the Lord's name in vain, which I don't do care. Right. Please, please do. Just do it right. But yeah, don't waste it. If you're gonna offend somebody, have some pizzazz. And just shouting it doesn't do it. It's gotta be, it's the timing of it. 
Let's get to the mortician. He is... He's in the embalming room. Right. He's just hovering over a fat lady, and he starts, yeah. like, booping her nipples a little bit. Dude, he touches her nipples, and he makes choo-choo train noises. He goes, choo-choo, and then he touches the other nipple and goes, choo-choo. Then he puts his hands together and runs his fingers down her abdomen and makes train noises, like, the train's going to tuna town apparently then he giggles he's like hee, 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 and he holds up this scalpel and cuts uh-huh. into her and as he does so i think this is much like the human centipede scientifically accurate gases which had been building up in the body escape uh-huh. and this fucking weirdo just shoves his face in it like it's his wife's fart and just like really gets in there and he's like oh what a perfume yeah, I've never done that to my wife's farts. I've seen the videos. Not of you, but just in general. <laughs> this knock comes at the door and he's just like, what? Duh? He's real put off by the fact he's got to leave the <laughs> belly farts of this overweight <laughs> <laughs> goes to the door and it's dennis miller right like speaking of speaking of wet farts here's (laughs) dennis miller at the door he's just like hey look babe i need to get in there and to the cunningham wake because i need to do some mourning i'm sorry sir the funeral home is closed (laughs) listen listen pal i really need to mourn too maybe three times tonight so i'm gonna need to get in there babe maybe you should go mourn by yourself and you should use a box of tissues It's a weird way to say tissue, babe. So, uh... What I'm saying is we're closed and you should go jerk off somewhere else. I've got a naked fat woman in there exposing abdomen gas as we speak. Look, I'm gonna hope that's a euphemism for something, babe. (laughs) It's not. I'm being quite literal. Dennis Miller just kind (laughs) of sneaks around the house. He just breaks into the house. Yeah, like sneaks around the corner, goes up to the second floor, climbs in a window. Why? I don't know, man, because the movie needs him to. And then as he's sneaking into the house, he overhears Lilith interviewing like a new recruit. Uh And the girl is like, I heard there were benefits. And she's like, oh, listen, honey, you're not going to believe the benefits that we're going to give you. Wink, wink. Could you tell that was a loaded statement? Yeah, it's when you said wink, wink. It really tipped me off. Okay, I didn't want you to miss the subtlety. Apparently, Teeny Anna Jones was the one who recruited this new prostitute to work in the whorehouse. So, oh, I didn't even he, catch that. Yeah, she throws out his name, and then Dennis Miller he hears additional banging on the front door, and he runs around to the stairs to see the mortician reject another horny guy looking for a prostitute. And this gives Dennis Miller a chance to run downstairs and hide behind a casket in the funeral parlor. About this time, Lilith she makes her way downstairs, and she's looking for the mortician McCutcheon. And one of my favorite things in this movie is when Angie Everhart has prosthetic teeth in her mouth and her lips are closed, but it looks like she's getting ready to go into a boxing match. Like her lips and cheeks are all bloated. And in this scene, she casually like parts her lips to show that she has these fangs and she's kind of like digging between her teeth. Man, it, it's really good. Corey Feldman has has good vampire voice, by which I mean it's terrible. She wanders into the funeral parlor and she starts sniffing around where Dennis Miller is hiding. And you think that she's sniffing because she can smell Dennis Miller. But then Lilith sniffs her armpit and she's disgusted by her own stomach 
Dank? Oh boy, it's been a while. I gotta start putting deodorant on at least every other day. I mean, I'm undead here. I do not like it when very attractive women in movies try to be funny when you know that they inherently are not funny in real life and they have no sense of humor. The only actress that pulled this off in my memory is Jenny McCarthy, especially in Basketball, when she asked Robert Vaughn, did I just fart? That always makes me laugh. Yeah, there's a handful. Angie Everhart is really terrible in this, just cover to cover. Right. Also, like, here's a a number of reasons. (laughs) Chad, settle in. Here's why I don't like her sniffing her armpits. One, it's gross. Two, I don't like my villain of the movie to be involved in an armpit sniffing joke if if I'm going to take her as a threat. Yep. Three, if this movie is about me supposing to uh, believe that Lilith is this seductive ancient vampire, again, Uh sniffing the pit, not doing anything for that character. Not at all. And ultimately, it's not funny. And no. so it's, it works doubly hard to both make me dislike that character more, feel no threat from that character, and also hate the movie a little bit more. So it's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Kudos to you, Bo. If you would like to see the beautiful mind chalkboard I've got set up, <laughs> at the top it just says pit joke question mark and then the yarn goes everywhere chad there's like 62 pictures of angie everhart and they all stretch out to her right there's just one goes to sylvester stallone and I, I think she'd be perfect for this movie i don't know dennis miller goes into the embalming room of this mortuary and he's not phased at all by the fact that there are butchered corpses everywhere and blood splattered all over the place and he wanders over to this little table and he finds a teensy tiny skull-shaped nose stud that had once been worn by Corey Feldman. And it's here that, like we as the audience, we see that uh, McCutcheon the mortician, he's the one who is stealing jewelry from all these people who have died in this whorehouse slash funeral home, which I kind of figure that's how funeral homes make their money. I mean, that and disgustingly high markups on caskets and urns, but come on, man. That's a revenue stream, right? It's one of many. I mean, if you're one of the less discriminatory funeral homes, uh, you can certainly double up on your corpses. We see a little bit of that here. Uh, There's Uh some organ harvesting. Corpse fucking. Mad scientist supply, which is (laughs) not, it's not uh, prolific, but it's lucrative. Sure. Uh, Because everyone who is creating uh, especially oversized corpse collections that they're trying to bring to life via, say, your electric eels, they're going to (laughs) need something with an enormous Schwanstucke. We know that. That's all I know about Frankenstein. Dennis Miller takes the skull nose stud to Erica, the sister. When he arrives, Reverend Current is there. And Reverend Current says, why are you a hero? Aren't you off of the case? And Erica pulls Dennis Miller off to the side. She's like, look, we got to call the police. And Dennis Miller says, hey, what's this we nonsense, babe? I just did the last 24 hours pro bono because I got a pro boner for you sweet cakes look <laughs> we can't go to the police unless we get something solid and i'm gonna go stake out the mortuary tonight and she's like what why i fired you why are you doing this i'm not gonna give you any more money <laughs> yeah look we'll talk about that later we'll settle all those scores on the back end just like the no corleone's no, did to settle with we- all the five families including the tataglias no. We're not doing any of that. And I swear to God, if you try to get me on Judge Judy to squeeze a few bones out of my pocket. (laughs) uh, You know me, I'm uh, banned from all national TV now, babe, but uh, I'm uh, going underground like an R. Crumb comic, babe. 
Dennis Miller goes to the whorehouse and he shows up at the same time that Jenkins, our dive bar hype man, and the mortician answers the door, but he says, we've only got room for one more paying customer. We've only got one hole at the whorehouse, gentlemen. Well, two if you count the other hole, three if you want to be more precise, and four if you count the mystery hole behind the knee. What I'm saying is that there's only one whore at the whorehouse and you, Dennis Miller, the star of our film and i use that word loosely shall be granted access is it star or film that he was using loosely there because either either work it's both. all right so dennis miller gets inside and goes down the slide to the boo party Whee! cha-cha and then he's greeted by the new employee Tamara from the night before right and he's just like oh wow looks like there's a uh, quite a selection of memories here babe do you know where you are you in the jungle Sorry. Dennis Miller says, <laughs> It looks like I'm in Larry Flint's Ed babe. It's like the unrated cut of Caligula. Oh, wait, there's not unrated cuts yet, babe? All right, look at me being anachronistic. <laughs> Dude, Tamara doesn't understand the words that came out of his mouth. They're neither a statement nor a joke. You know, he could have just been like making monkey noises and it would have made as much sense to her. If she had responded with, Is that what you do for a living? That would have been just as appropriate. And then, so we cut over to Lilith, who's biting into a heart, and she goes, Oh, it's the vegetarian again. Here, take this. And throws the heart to another vampire prostitute. Topless vampire prostitute. I assume that was a given at this point, but you're, <laughs> you're probably right. We should point out that there, if, if there's a woman in the movie, she is topless. Unless it's Angie Everhart, and she's not. Or Erica Liniak. Yes. But everybody else, you get to see their boobs. She tosses it to this vampire girl and says, This bud's for you. What does that mean? I do not know. If she had said, This blood's for you? She just misread the script. Like it was that uh, Kevin Smith cutaway to Lars von Trier, where they're like, Hey, was that good, Lars? And he's just counting money at his table. Yeah, yeah, that was fine. <laughs> that cut was totally fine. And then the our creepy old guy is like, Oh, there's a problem upstairs is and as dennis miller passes by lilith and she kind of gives him a sniff and a snarl like and then goes upstairs to deal with whatever problem mccutcheon is having right and it turns out that jenkins our our weirdo he's becoming undead he's becoming a vampire but he says the sunscreen stopped working and lilith is like you're a baby and then just decapitates him. Uh-huh. She pops his head off like a cork on a bottle. Yeah, and then says, I love a man who gives you head and lets you keep it. Oh, it's fucking terrible, dude. This is why I prefer Creep Show over Tales from the Crypt. Like I said, I'll take this shit from the Crypt Keeper, but when just the run-of-the-mill characters start doing it, no, no. Tamara, our new recruit prostitute, she takes Dennis Miller off to this uh, sex dungeon. <laughs> yeah. What is this, babe? Uh, talk about your Iron Maiden. I didn't bring earplugs. <laughs> Does anybody in this movie even know who Dennis Miller is? Like, do they know that he's a private detective? Because he showed up the night before looking to get laid, but there wasn't anything that connects him to the missing Corey or any of the other connective threads of all of these characters. Teeny Anna Jones didn't hear about it at the church. At this point, he is theoretically anonymous. That The, the only thing that he is to this vampire clan is uh, that Lilith has gotten a whiff of him and is like, Oh, he's a keeper. 
All right. So Tamara in this sex dungeon, she looks at Dennis Miller and she says, hey, lover, take your clothes off. Worm. First off, how does she even know that he's going to be down for a little bondage play? Right. That is a very particular taste. Not everybody's down for that, though. Right. And then Dennis Miller says, <laughs> a lady's first. <laughs> so in under two seconds, Tamara just snatches off her dress and she's naked except for a few leather straps and some linking chains around her breast. And my one and only laugh in this film is at this moment where Dennis Miller says, you are not going to believe this. I almost wore that same outfit tonight. Wouldn't we have been mortified? That You're right. That is a, the one solid joke of this film. It's the way he delivers the word mortified. Like the look on his face is so funny. While he's flirting with Tamara, he kind of gets the drop on her and gets her tied to this rack instead of him. Dennis Miller starts to undress Tamara and she kind of freaks out as she unbuttons his shirt because she thinks he might be wearing a cross on this neck but it's not a crossbow it's the star of david and as the camera holds on the star quietly in the background you hear hava nagila playing it's real subtle bow yeah it's not subtle bow it's classy <laughs> once he you know startles her with his star of david onto this rack and, and and ties her up and basically it's just like look babe i gotta go i've learned absolutely nothing since i've been down here other than there are prostitutes but i figured that's enough for a day so i'm gonna call it a night <laughs> he grabs his suede jacket and off he fucks but his wallet falls out and lands on the floor his escape is crazy because what he does is he grabs a flute, a flute of champagne, Chad, uh -huh. tosses it on a fire, yes. which immediately goes out thanks to all this champagne. Upwards, one assumes, of six ounces of it. Uh -huh. And then shimmies up this just blazing fireplace. Uh, and we see none of this. It's just he throws the champagne there, ducks into the chimney, and then he's out of the funeral home like fucking Santa Claus. On his way out, he has to hide in, a, in his coffin, and there he discovers uh, Jenkins' decapitated body. And he kind of freaks out about it, and you're like, man, you just saw a bunch of cut-up bodies right. a minute ago. What are you so fucking upset about, you know? Maybe he and Jenkins made a connection back at the bar. Talking out the best goddamn whatever sex with tricks that don't have names he's my ex-wife's brother babe even though we're broken up i still look after the guy every now and again it's really something the way he turned to the streets it didn't take him long to succumb to the drugs it's a real bad situation so let's just leave it at that babe Meh. lilith comes in and she finds dennis miller's wallet in the sex dungeon and she goes over and she tastes the blood that's on tamra's hands because as tamra tried to seduce dennis miller she cut his neck and then lilith with dennis miller's blood in her mouth she gets all hot and bothered and she's like this is really unique i've not tasted this since attila the hun suggesting that somehow dennis miller shares dna with attila the hun somehow seems okay. unlikely in this film you know come back to dennis miller in his abandoned porno theater slash office building and he's got in one hand a loaded gun and in the other hand he's just got a bottle of booze that he's guzzling boy i've been there it's like looking in the mirror right now that's the old joke i'm gonna use one of these tonight 
I'm gonna be drinking, I gotta have my gun. Well, he's he's boozing it up with a loaded weapon like you do. Lilith <laughs> appears in the room with him. This is, again, the 13-year-old ghost riding, where uh-huh. he's looking at her tits and she's like, you can touch him if you want. This has just turned into Dr. Girlfriend, which I'm totally fine with. And he's like, uh, I don't know, babe. And not that those aren't the tits of the century or anything, but I'd rather glue my dick to the bullet train. He's like, no thanks, babe. And then she gives him like this fantasy. I can be whatever you want, sweetheart. Like suddenly she's dressed like a cheerleader and her cheer is two, four, six, eight. You can watch me masturbate. No, thank you. I'm okay with that. I don't need to see you doing anything of the sort, madam. And then suddenly she's like Marilyn Monroe, and she's just like, Is this your type, sweetheart? You want me to bend over? Huh? You like to see it from the backside, don't you? Look how coy I am. Then she looks like Erica Aleniak. And it's like, oh, I can look like anything, lover. And then shittily CGI's from one side of Dennis Miller to the other. And now she's like back to uh, Angie Everhart look. And as she is seducing Dennis Miller, question mark, uh-huh. in comes Erica Oladiac, who's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you having sex with a woman who's not me because we're not dating and you don't work for me therefore this is just sort of an awkward moment a good day sir he's like nah babe just because she's dressed like a lounge singer doesn't mean there's a show okay and then uh she's like look i'm going to the police you're a crazy person i don't know who the fuck that lady was and then i guess he just follows her to the police yeah, they roll into the police station, which, remember, is like two doors down from the abandoned porno theater slash detective office. And the main cop, who's kind of nameless in this movie, he's just eating beef stew out of the can with a napkin hilariously placed tucked into his collar, all Jethro Bodine style. That's a Beverly Hillbillies reference, Bo, uh, which was a contender for this season of Pick 6 movies. And in that film, the actress who plays Erica in this movie played Ellie Mae. Oh, well done. You could have had her coming or you could have had her going, lover. And the whole time Dennis Miller is watching this guy eat and it's just like, hey, can you get maybe one bite in that fucking noggin of yours, huh? You fat fuck, you piece of fat shit. And the cop's like, hey, Dennis Miller, you know, you have a suspended private investigator's license. And you're like, whoa, whoa, he's suspended for what? And Dennis Miller says, hey, babe, it's a license. All right. It's a piece of paper. It doesn't matter. It's like a marriage license (laughs) or a driver's license. License, or maybe a board approved medical license it's all a formality it doesn't really matter babe <laughs> you see this gun right here i don't have a license for that either babe doesn't mean i can't shoot it doesn't mean i can't kill a person Cha-cha. just means i'm an american <laughs> who believes yeah. that the government needs to get off my back babe that's right you know what i got a piece of paper it's called the constitution <laughs> That's so right. I can't believe he doesn't say that in this movie. The deputy or sheriff or whoever the fuck he is is like, also your check bounce. Get the fuck out. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I, I'm going to throw you in jail if you keep sticking around here. Did you give him money? Did you pay him? That is illegal. If you are paying him for these services and he is not legally qualified to do so, I'm going to put him in jail. And immediately he's like, look, you don't have to answer those questions, babe. I'll tell you another thing. He's trying to entrap you. It's something that the police do. So you just let me do all the talking. If he asks you anything about me by name, you never met me. 
Yeah. I'm also just to let you know I'm a lawyer, all right? I mean, I don't have a certificate, but I think that's ground we've already covered. Eric Aladiac is like, who cares who this guy is? He found this nose ring and that's my brother's. Then he's like, all right, fine, we'll go check this out. This movie is miserable, Chad, but the upside yes. is it's almost over. We're real close to the end. I also think that Dennis Miller, he's a bad actor for all of this movie. Agreed. I, th I think his best acting comes here, though, when he, he says, look, man, people are dying. It's a moment where I'm like, that was okay. It wasn't great, but it was okay. That was a totally passable take. And if you had done that for, like, I don't know, all the other scenes, maybe this movie would have been something. But, eh, it's not how the cookie crumbled, babe. Um... Hey, do you mind if I... So they go to the mortuary where they accost old man McCutcheon. And when Dennis Miller tries to show him, like, look, babe, it was right in here. The entrance to this whorehouse through the, the coffin, they, he shoves a coffin in and it just burns in front of Erica Leniak and this cop. That coffin cost me a thousand dollars. How dare you, sir? And Dennis Miller's like... Huh, they're just gaslighting me, babe. It's fine. Did you say gas? Gaslight. Can I get a sniff? Mmm, it smells fantastic. Have you ever met my cousin Kuta? He lives in rural Georgia. He has a certain penchant for the aromatics of women's undergarments. The other line that Dennis Miller has here, this is a pretty good one, where he, uh, he looks at McCutcheon and goes, huh. You're a goddamn liar. That's a pretty good one. And then Erica Aladia stomps on Dennis Miller's foot for taking the Lord's name in vain. And then they all leave. And that's kind of the whole scene. McCutcheon says, we threw Dennis Miller out earlier tonight. He was carrying on with a woman stoned out of his mind. And then Erica and the cop, they hop in a car to head off. And before she leaves, she says, Dennis Miller, you're a liar and a fornicator and an asshole. And then high up above in a window, Lilith and Tinianda Jones, they're looking down on all this action in the parking lot below and lilith tells teeny anna jones we need to talk about our future without the reverend if i were in charge we'd have a lot more fun plus we'd be making so much more money selling these cars why are we giving it all to this charity let's keep it for ourselves lava and i'm like wait wait, 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 wait. the reverend is in charge of this operation i thought teeny anna jones had the amulet of power over lilith oh you think that chad but due to bad storytelling that's not the case at all and they're selling used cars that's how they're making their money yes i assume so because they never collect money from these guys because they're eating them all zemeckis and gail wrote the movie used cars starring kurt russell maybe this script was their version of shakespeare in love it contains every movie that they've ever made and fits and starts here and there i like that it's a prequel to used cars the other thing that happens here is lilith when she's looking out the window she sees dennis miller walking away and she goes oh nice butt and it's like under no circumstances no first of all you can't tell because of the khakis mm -hmm. like this is just a shapeless lump of shit hanging off this guy's hips you can't tell <laughs> nothing from this we cut to teeny and jones and he's back at church headquarters and he's in uh reverend current's 
office? And Tiniana Jones, he now hands over the amulet to Reverend Current. Which, what is going on here, Bo? The best guess I have is he has to take the key with him when he goes to the brothel so they don't eat him. Okay. Okay. But that doesn't... He's bite size. He's the fun size. But that doesn't jive with what he said earlier back in Tierra del Fuego, where he said, well, it doesn't matter where you have the key. Like, you could have it in a safe or whatever. You just have to own it. And if you do, you control her. So, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. It's so sloppy and lazy. Phil is, is telling uh, Chris Randon, hey, we're killing sinners by the truckload. And he gives Sarandon back this key, who puts it in a safe. And then when uh, Tiniana Jones says, hey, I was thinking about maybe some more money because I helped with the scam and I got the key and all. And I'm the one that's got to go into the lair with demonic forces. And Chris Sarandon just glowers at him. Uh-huh. Tiniana Jones is like, okay, GC, sorry. I shouldn't have even asked. And then scampers off. And then Chris Sarandon goes to rehearsal because there's nothing more fun in a movie than to watch people rehearse something god i hope i get it i hope i get it yeah unless you're a chorus line <laughs> rehearsal should never be in your film the other uh reprieve i will grant is whiplash again you're <laughs> stop again not on my tempo not on my tempo during this rehearsal chris sarandon <laughs> is like this big devil arises behind him yeah it's this big animatronic like you would see at a second rate theme park right yes it should be in the middle of a bunch of like bouncing cups on arms you know that kind of thing and then a laser burns across into the floor i think dude it bounces off his guitar and burns across on the ground and it is clearly not osha approved no this is like the real genius crew decided that they were gonna do a laser cross i like that reverend current calls it a lazar lot i have a note in here too where much like <laughs> the dukes of hazard uh episode involving someone using uh yahoo uh making me laugh chris and saying lesser lot i don't know why they have the lesser lot turned up so high it's very funny it's a good the, the movie should have been more of that it should have been more of that and it should have been more of the forthcoming super soaker scene that we're going to see a little bit later but it is nice to see actors acting in this movie it's a nice change of pace as opposed to comedians trying to wedge their shtick into a film that their dialogue is not based on anything that sounds like the words coming out of their mouth or supermodels growling their way through a movie i mean again just keep give me more of chris sarandon spoilers he dies in this movie and it's the biggest fucking tragedy of the film for no good reason erica approaches reverend kurt and says i want to make a documentary about lust to warn young people about sex and it's going to be about strip clubs and dirty magazines and whorehouses and reverend current says that sounds pretty awesome onward a christian soldiers i wish he had had the same reaction as if linda ronstadt had told him she was gonna do a version in spanish yeah you do that uh anybody who comes to you and says i'm interested in making a documentary about strip clubs and dirty magazines and whorehouses they're freaky have you seen james franco's documentary uh kink uh, i think it may have been done already <laughs> that just sounds like i want to go make porno i want to do a segment of real sex for hbo is w what you're telling me so if you were to shoot porn and just say we're making a documentary about how babies are made 
I know it sounds uh, glamorous, but uh, trust me, you are just going to see a bunch of old people boning. We cut to Dennis Miller, and he's lurking around like a graveyard. And we see that there is an interment of a casket for someone named Gaines. Tee-hee-bo. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> There's a comment from Dennis Miller about, Hey, babe, this guy was eaten by flesh-eating bacteria. He lost half his weight in a few days, but those pop bears, they're struggling to carry that guy like they've got Dom Deloise and Nell Carter and some other fat person inside there. Why am I just talking out loud like this and just delivering exposition to no one but myself? I sound like Claude Rains from the Invisible Man over here, babe. Who the hell am I talking to? It's a Simpsons heavy episode tonight. And then Dennis Miller breaks into this mausoleum at night. Stop that scene, Bo. There is a cat that jumps at him that has red eyes, which is kind of fun. And then we leave the scene. Like, there is such bad editing in this film. It's but awful. We leave the scene that's like, oh, this is interesting. He's going to discuss what's really going on and we can actually get around to killing a vampire or two in this movie and then instead we cut over to chris sarandon who passes uh teeny Ander jones in the hallway and he's like hey there little fella how about we talk about that thing you wanted to talk about uh teeny Ander jones is like uh i got a doctor's appointment see ya wait a minute uh, you're a jehovah's witness you don't go to a doctor i remember when you had that son and the christian scientist said he doesn't need that vaccine. You almost died, but you refused a blood transfusion. It was amazing that you survived, mostly because I parade over you, because I pray to the true Christian God. Of course, we buried your wife and child only three days apart, but it is good that you have bound your service to me and not say the bottle. But yeah, he's like, something is up. Uh, I, I swear, it's so much fun to talk that way. Chris Rannon like rushes to his safe after seeing Teeny Anna Jones and uh, finds the safe open and the relic gone. Bum, bum, I think I know who took it. Uh, and then we cut to just water being poured on an ass. Uh, to console himself, the good reverend goes to find Teeny Anda Jones in this titty bar called the Spread Eagle. That's all right. I'm okay with that. It's a, and we get a whole lot more boobs in this movie. Because there are strippers now. So Chris Rennan has followed Teeny Anna Jones to this meeting with Lilith as he, Teeny Anna Jones, is kind of pitching to Lilith like hey you need to get into strip clubs mm -hmm. have you seen the movie vamp hey let me show you a film it's called magic mike it's a real blueprint for how we can go straight to the top baby how long is that thing that's a prosthetic reverend kurt comes in and he sees teeny and jones pitching to lilith and he walks over and he's like what in the hell is going on here teeny and jones and then Lilith says, game over, Reverend. I'm in charge now. And I'm like, in charge of what? What is she in charge of, Bo? The used car dealership that they're running? Yeah, she's the boss of her now. Because before, he was the boss of her. And she was like, you're not going to be the boss of me. And he was like, I am clearly the boss of you. Look, I've got the key. And then Teeny Anna Jones got the key. And she was like, you know what? You thought you were the boss of me. But guess who's the boss of me? I'm the boss of me. About this time, Erica, she comes busting into this strip club. Like, she's some investigative reporter. There's bright lights and a camera and microphones in the air. And look, you roll into a strip club with that setup. Everybody in that place is scattering like cockroaches. It's like Mike Wallace busted up into this place. Just, senator, Senator. Like, everybody's going fucking crazy. This idiot 
confronts Lilith, uh, er, idiot by which I mean Eric Oleniak in this scene, where she's like, you're here all the time. I guess you just love sin. Does Erica even know Lilith? They haven't talked once in this film. As far as she knows, the only place that Erica Oleniak has seen her is at Dennis Miller's Miller's abandoned porno theater slash detective office. That's right. They are kind of tousling. And then somebody accosts the cameraman and the screen just goes dark. It's not HBO, (laughs) though. It's just TV. And then back at this shitty crypt, Dennis Miller finally opens up the coffin and finds this extra body of Jenkins inside. Yeah, they cut back to the interesting scene earlier, which upon second viewing, I connected the dots as to, he was like, oh, babe, there's a real skinny guy in that casket, but they're carrying it, it's real heavy, babe. And dude, he single-handedly pulls the casket out of this sealed mausoleum. That's not how this shit works. It's adrenaline, Chad. It's like if somebody had dropped a minivan on his kid. He's got that mom strength. Dude, it would have taken at least six men to pull this casket out. And he just like pops it open like it's nothing. Look, it's like they say, babe, give me a lever and a fulcrum and I'll lift the world. Huh? All right. That came from Copernicus, babe. They didn't really come from Copernicus. Back at the strip club, Lilith manhandles Reverend Current, and the good Reverend pleads with Teeny Anda Jones. He's like, please uh, give me the amulet key. I want to be the overlord of this red-haired raven. And then Teeny Anda Jones, he's like, you know what, Reverend? Fuck you. And he just chunks the amulet key at the wall and smashes it. Why would he do that? He had the key, bro. He controls Lilith. This doesn't make any sense. He's a follower not a leader you know he knows his place he's an indian not a chief and that's that's something that few organizations have the self-awareness in the staff to, to recognize <laughs> uh everybody's jockeying for position and teeny anna jones here is like you know what i want somebody else to be in charge i want to be the man behind the man he just wants to watch the world burn he doesn't care who's in charge he's got a front row seat to the end of the world to hell with it but he at least has a request here where he's like hey how about you kill chris sarandon on account of me busting up the thing that kept you in chains tiniana jones asked lilith to kill him she says i'm not gonna kill him i got a whole plan i want him to see what i'm capable of like exes or something where i want him to see how happy i am without him i told him i could complete dental hygienist school and i'm gonna do it i'm gonna show him that i can clean teeth and i can pay my own bills i don't buy it you don't finish anything you start uh, i'm gonna finish this I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, I'm going to go visit my mother in the spring, and I promise I'm going to do it next fall. All right? Oh, goody. It's time to pay a visit to the chief enabler. Uh, Don't you talk about my mother that way. All right? She's been on this earth for multiple millennia. She's a saint. Well, she's a sinner. But you know what I mean. The only thing worse than me talking about your mother to your mother uh, is me not talking about your mother. She always hated you. The feeling was more than mutual. Uh, I would like to hurl her into the fiery pits of hell. You're an asshole. Takes one to no one. Uh, Dennis Miller goes and gets his photos developed uh, that he took of Jenkins in the casket with 
with the skinny dead old man that he pulled out of the mausoleum. And when he looks at the pictures, there's only a dead skinny old man and there's no Jenkins. was because Jenkins was a vampire. So he runs over and he shows Erica the photos and she's like, hey, babe, check this out. There should be two guys in here, but instead there's just a dead old guy. And Erica's like, you're a weirdo. Why are you taking pictures of dead people? It is the shittiest evidence in the world to be like, hey, guess what's not in this picture I took, babe? Huh? It's a real which of these things is not like the other, but there's no other. Erica kicks Dennis Miller out of her work where she's editing her documentary on sex perverts. (laughs) Yeah. And immediately after Dennis Miller leaves, Erica looks at her own footage and she realizes that Lilith is not in the shot, but she had been filming Lilith and there's no Lilith uh, because Lilith is a vampire. And also in the footage, Erica sees that Reverend Current is in the titty bar, which shame. Ding, ding, ding. Shame. Ding, ding, ding. Shame. Ding, ding, ding. I never saw Game of Thrones, but I know that that's a thing that happened in it. I was really proud of you for a second. You're welcome. Well, uh, you know, I mentioned his name earlier, and I'm doing my best to fake it till I make it. You know, you can just start at the third season. Everything's going to be fine if you just tell you what, uh, you can actually read the comics. The comics sum up the first couple of books pretty good. I'm working on the last one now, but uh, I got to tell you, I got a roast in the oven. I think that's going to take up most of the day. Let's cut to Dennis Miller watching the Erica videotape footage where Dennis Miller says, <laughs> oh, babe, look, uh, there's this uh, demented Ewok, or as I call him, Professor Loveless, in your footage here, which that's a callback to Wild Wild West, Bo. I know. It's all planned out. Dennis Miller says, <laughs> look, I want to advance a weird Duchovnian riff here, babe. Right? Look, what if we're dealing with vampires <laughs> and she's like you're crazy but also you've been right about a lot of stuff so far ring 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 hello hey it's me sis cory feldman i'm on the phone i need you to come help me i'm in trouble i haven't been in the movie for an hour but you know come help me out i'm at the old power plant the one that the mystery machine is parked out in front of help 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 click so they drive to the set of any cw show yes and dennis miller mentions look at this place babe it's like being a bad tales from the crypt episode forgive me if i'm self-referential why would they do that because that's the kind of wink and nod movie it is and in a better movie (laughs) they could probably get away with it you mean scary movie five did scary movie five get away with it i don't know is there a scary movie five who's to say sure there is like if the movie were entertaining and funny and they do a little like hey look it's like being in a movie babe that's fine it's not great nobody's writing home about a line like that but it doesn't like just sink like a lead balloon like it does in a movie like this where there's just wall-to-wall shit and then you want to refer to the shit oh it's just the worst steam pipes hiss you know dark shadows that dennis miller has a flashlight in one hand and a gun in the other and as they're wandering around they come across Corey feldman who is now somewhat kind of like incapacitated like he's laying on the ground and then Corey feldman just pops up and he says don't touch me unless you love me let's party <laughs> and then Dennis Miller just puts six bullets into Corey Feldman. No questions asked. Immediately, it's just like, huh, look, uh, I'm real sorry about what happened to your brother there. What with uh, 
running into the six bullets I fired at him, but uh, I think he's a dead duck, babe. Let's just say he was probably high on heroin. Tell you what, I've got a baggie in my pocket. We'll plan it on him, babe. Nobody <laughs> will be the wiser. Let me ask you a question, babe. Have you heard about the Stanger ground loss? All right, because this is going to make all this go away. All right. Speaking of going away, if we can't get our story straight, maybe it's better if there's just one person telling it. Huh? Speaking of bones to pick, I hate the way that Corey Feldman looks as a vampire. It's uh-huh. that kind of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like, now I'm all monstered out. Right? But that doesn't happen to any of the other vampires. Except for no. Angie Everhart, and that's only when, like, you cut her heart out of her. And the rest of the time, they look like just normal people like you and me, Chad. He looks like a pockmarked spooky vampire. So he starts chasing them. They run through the factory or this power plant or whatever. Here's a joke that I kind of like. Erica Leniak is like, hey, we can get away by swinging across this ravine on chains, kind of like Star Wars. And he's like, listen, that is the craziest fucking thing I've ever heard. And then he starts to climb a ladder to try to find another way out. And as he climbs towards the top, Corey Feldman appears and does his like, hey, there you are, dickhead. Yeah. He goes, that is the second craziest fucking thing i've ever heard and then climbs down and jumps across the chasm doesn't he make a star wars reference here i i don't like, recall zippity doodah he crashes through a window and then lands down on top of the hood of the patrol car that belongs to the one and only police officer in our movie cut to him waking up strapped down to a hospital bed on his belly that's weird. The first time I saw it, I was like, he's about to get pegged. Yeah. But instead, this pretty nurse comes in to distract the sheriff slash deputy slash law enforcement representative. It's Tammy, the sexy dungeon prostitute from earlier. And she's all like sexy nursed up and seduces the sheriff behind a curtain. Hey, you want to come behind this curtain and I'll give you a handy BJ cranking yank? And he's like, yes, ma'am. And then she kills him. Right. And then she pops out and did a miller pulls out his iv and just stabs her in the forehead and bo i don't think that that's how iv needles work and i don't think that that's how foreheads work you know vampires notoriously have the the brittle bones of a bird really yeah like their fontanelle is right above their eyes yeah if you throw them in water they float i've got a lot of vampire facts you can check out more at vampirefacts.com my new website that i host and uh has yet to be visited chad but fingers crossed i think this is going to be a big step in the right direction here on this this show Dennis Miller pushes Tammy, the vampire nurse, over in front of this window, and somehow the blinds catch her nurse garb and rips her back, and the sunlight from the morning rising sun bakes in on her, and her body expands like a balloon, and it just explodes in wet, gooey fashion. Cut to Whoopi Goldberg playing what one can only assume is herself, laying in a nearby hospital bed where she says, you know, you want to keep it down? I'm trying to rest i knew i should have taken that private room and give us like a little double take to hey i'm serious i gotta get up i'm on the view tomorrow i gotta keep joy behar and megan mccain from ripping each other throats out i know that they're working remotely but look i'm the glue that keeps that show together all right i come in and i'm a voice of reason i know i'm left-leaning but still i gotta go in i'm the anchor of the show you could call me the guinan of the view you know Just like I was on the Star Trek, I was on there. Jean-Luc Picard's a close friend of mine, yeah. People turn into The View to hear what I gotta say. They're not listening to Bayar McCain, you know? And by the way, let me just say something for the record, alright? When Ted Danson did the blackface... 
All right. And I know a lot of people bring this up. In Hollywood, they call it the Ted dancing when you got blackness all over your face. I was mortified by that. Now, we were fucking at the time. But still, it was inappropriate. But you know what I did? I forgave him because I love Teddy. All right? I could have listened to that all night. That was like an evening with Whoopi Goldberg. I won an Oscar, all right, for Ghost. And I've hosted the Oscars like three times, okay? And it's an amazing feeling to host the Oscars. You come out, it's glamorous, it's amazing. But here's the thing that they don't tell you about the Oscars. You can come out on stage and you can fart all you want. That's why I'm called Whoopi because I fart all the time. If you're around me for more than eight seconds, you're probably going to vomit because it's it's like being around a mortician cutting open a bloated fat woman. You sniff it in. And unless you're into that kind of thing, okay, it's going to make you puke. But you know what? I've gotten used to it. Ted Danson, he had to go off. He had to make Becker. He had to move on to bigger and better things. All right? Okay. I swear, I just want to do the full inside the actor studio now. Whoopi Goldberg, what is your favorite curse word? I gotta tell you, my favorite curse word of all of them is goddamn, but only when it's used appropriate, okay? What is your least favorite word? My least favorite word is pussy, okay? It's a word that I think is fantastic, but most people use it, and they use it inappropriately, okay? Whoopi Goldberg, as we end this evening, a final question from Francois Chouffaf. If heaven exists, what do you hope to hear when you arrive? I'm gonna walk up to the pearly gates, and God's gonna look at me. And he's going to say, get in here, you glorious bitch. Okay? And I'm going to say, okay. Glorious bitch indeed. We've all learned a little something from this glorious bitch tonight. <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, here? okay. So there's this whole thing where Erica Oleniak <laughs> is on this the rack that Tamara was on earlier in the film. Oh, yeah. The sex dungeon. Rack. The sex dungeon. And Corey Feldman is just making eyes at his sister. He's like, you know, at first I hated being a vampire, but then guess what? It's pretty damn cool <laughs> whatever good i thought Corey feldman did at the beginning of this movie when he seemed like oh maybe i give Corey feldman a hard time he's actually not that terrible an actor Wrong. this is fucking awful yeah and while he's eyeballing his sister uh, you know his cinematic sister chad lilith arrives and she says oh you're a cutie i think i may take you for a test ride yeah and she starts molesting her like taking her hands and grabbing her boobs and poking at her stomach and squishing her thighs Corey feldman is like hey can i watch <laughs> and you're like gross Ugh, this is all terrible <laughs> the thought of watching my sister have sex i would stab my eyes out before i even partook of something like that it would be a scene from a greek tragedy just people Jesus. clawing their eyes it would be horrible so chris aranen shows up at the mortuary front door and he's like hey i've come to join your side get with the winning team i always say uh Tiniana jones is like are you serious and he goes yes uh but i need to talk to lilith myself no ulterior motives uh i have no stakes or crosses uh, is that what he has under his raincoat stakes and crosses yes i thought it was dynamite or a bomb <laughs> no oh although that would be great if he was just like we're all going to hell tonight vincent uh, we're all going to hell except for me uh, i am secretly a muslim and i shall be having my virgin delight momentarily once i explain to them the intricacies of my sexual preferences uh, i will begin to fornicate uh, with my 72 virgins considering that my ex-wife uh, turned me gay i'm hoping that my virgins are all young men i didn't know that couldn't happen i hope it's henry cavill from that last mission impossible movie did you see 
of those biceps. I would also be interested in a Daniel Craig from any of his James Bond motion pictures. Basically, any of the super spies. Anyone involved in a foreign intrigue can be involved in my anal intrigue. Call it the spy who fucked me. Forgoing that, uh, I will be happily entertaining anyone who is able to do a competent Zac Efron impression, physically speaking. Honestly, any of the boys in the fraternity from that Seth Rogen movie are acceptable. That was some good man flesh. What are we talking about again? Magic Mike. Have you ever seen that volleyball movie? I believe it's called <laughs> Top Gun. That's the kind of thing I'm most interested in. And I can only blame this on my ex-wife. She was truly a nightmare. That is why I have chosen to live a life as a homosexual. Justin Timberlake uh, is the triple threat. Music, acting, uh, and sex. He's also a singer, sir. Keep that to, to yourself. Uh, I don't need to hear his voice. I've got something he can sing into. <laughs> it's called my Magic Mike. Uh, extra, extra large. What is the sequel to Magic Mike? Oh, Magic Mike XXL. Back in the whorehouse, uh -huh. uh, Teeniana Jones, he's going to shoot Reverend Current. But then Dennis Miller just crashes his car through the front doors of this mortuary, killing the good mortician McCutcheon, or at least leaving him worse for the wear. And like he's at the front door and seen the, the car come through, and it's just a dummy, but it's still a pretty good dummy, and, and it looks good. Dennis Miller pops out of the car and... And dude, he immediately fires a slug into Teeny Anda Jones's chest. So two of our main characters are now dead. I guess uh, Randy Newman had it right, babe. Short people got no reason to live, babe. Dennis Miller asks Reverend Kurt, Hey, cha-cha, are you a friend or a foe? Because I'm a feeling a little jumpy here. You see what I did? I just took out fun-size mini-me, all right? Are you a friend or foe? And Reverend Kurt says, I'm a, your friend. I've come to take care of all of the whores and vampires and this bordello of blood based on my fun fundamentalistic Christian religious views. And Reverend Current opens up his trench coat and he shows off what, Bo, you say are stakes? Because... I thought they were explosives. Explosives, dildos, could be anything, Chad. Doesn't matter. But Chris Sarandon just gives the, this is the end of the movie. Let me tell you what the end of the movie is going to be. Yeah. At this point, Dennis Miller says, oh, cool, babe. You're on Team DM. You know what? Why don't you take one of these two super soakers that I filled with holy water, babe? And we're going to go and shoot some vampires. And we're going to go save the day, cha-cha. Excuse me. And then Reverend Kurt provides more exposition. And he says, to kill Lilith, uh, we have to cut her heart uh, into four pieces and dennis miller is just like uh all right sounds like something that's gonna happen in the last reel babe let's get shaken so they just basically go on a killing spree in this here uh whorehouse where ballroom blitz plays and, yep. and dennis miller he's got a super soaker filled with holy water he has given chris sarandon a smaller i call this the grasshopper uh, but he gives him a little water gun as well filled with holy water and to the strains of ballroom blitz which we last heard in wayne's world i suppose wayne's world too wayne's world the the deuce dennis miller and chris Rand kill a bunch of vampires and they catch fire and explode they melt yeah it's uh, there's the lady with 
like half a lady, but she's got one boob, and that's kind of fun. If this movie had been more of this, the film would have been better. It would have been more planet terror than what it is, which is just disappointing. Yes. It should have been more over the top and craziness. I agree. I agree. Because, you know, some of the effects work is gooey, even though they looted the effects budget to pay Dennis Miller, and clearly that paid off. <laughs> it is fun to see, you know, this is kind of primetime special effects guys. This is pre-CGI. This is, we are going to make prosthetic effects look as good as possible. And there's some fun stuff. Reverend Current and Dennis Miller, they wander around the bordello after they've hosed down all these whores. And Corey Feldman shows up and he gets blasted with holy water. And then the movie kind of rips off the special effects from Death Becomes Her. And we see like a full hole in Corey Feldman's abdomen. And he just collapses. But before he dies, he goes, this sucks. Yeah. And you're just like, all right. Yeah, th- thanks for nothing, Corey Feldman. Just lay down and let the movie happen. Reverend Current makes his way down to the sex dungeon to free Erica, but as he's undoing her straps from this S&M rotating table, Erica transforms into Lilith, and Lilith is like, hey, lava, and she just snaps the wrist of Reverend Current, and it, it almost like removes his whole hand. It's a pretty good effect. And then Lilith takes, I guess, like a knife that the Reverend has and just stabs him in the belly. And as she's gloating, Miller comes off the top rope with a battle axe yeah. and just cleaves her in twain. It's like, oh, that can't be legal. Where are the refs? Oh my God. He's come off the top rope with a battle axe. Oh, the humanity. And he caps it off with like a fuck you. Yeah, it's all right. She kind of pulls herself back together, Lilith does, and then just flips him kinda off. Terminator 2 style. Yeah. And then just gives him the finger and he's like, fuck off. And then vanishes we get a little foreshadowing here chad where dennis miller finds erica laniac and he's like oh my god you're so pale and then he checks her neck for puncture wounds but it turns out she's okay but and then they go to chris sarandon she has a rag in her mouth to keep her from screaming which is a movie trope that i've never understood i don't care how much you stuff my mouth with a rag i can just use my tongue to push it out well all right so here's the thing i used to think this was bullshit too and the thing is the way that works is the rag has to be large enough that it forces your tongue into the bottom of your mouth it basically it has to be big enough so that it, it flattens your tongue and you can't get the leverage to do that outside of the podcast i want you to explain to me how you learned this let's just say i got some ligature marks on the neck but uh, a lot of masturbation time in i'm just glad it did not involve the word craigslist you can find more information like this on how to get away with murder.com no not the tv <laughs> show yeah it's the whole thing you have to type in no not the tv show as well chris arandon <laughs> tells him you've got to get back to the studio and tell the world that there are vampires that's what he says or something you gotta go tell somebody something tell who tell them what i'm making this up you know he says you've got to get to my studio and you have got to tell them act what so they go to the tv studio the devil animatronic pops out of the stage smoke pours out it's very molly hatchet ish right if you will and Lilith shows up and she just manhandles Dennis Miller and she's like, oh, hello there. You wanna fuck? And then she handcuffs Dennis Miller to a catwalk. And then Lilith goes down to the main stage and she just starts slapping Erica about sending her 20 to 30 feet into the air. It's a pretty good backhand. Yeah. Even though you can tell it's completely a dude 
uh, doing yeah, the oh, stunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny. These are all male, like, stunt actors. Is that what I want to yeah. say? These are all... Stunt performers. Yeah. And then, as Lilith is about to eat Erica Eleniac, Dennis Miller is using his foot to hit the control panel that controls the lesser light to... And the board, like, hits overload. And uh, and that's why I don't like Mondays. Uh, sorry. When it hits the, the red line, Dennis Miller hits the button, which carves this laser cross into Lilith and it splits her heart but then she's like oh lava you can't just split my heart in four pieces you gotta take it out too and so she is all monstered out now and, yep. and is stalking towards Dennis Miller and he's pleading for his life like he's given up all pretense of heroism now he's just like come on babe look I'm on your side I'll do whatever you want you can chop off my legs and put tiny shoes I'll be teeny and Jones part two whatever you want just don't kill me back and then erica laniac plunges the pitchfork from the devil puppet is that what it was yeah through part of her heart ends up in dennis miller's hand uh-huh and then lilith explodes in flame and erica laniac says heartless bitch because you know they took out her heart chad i guess her body just kind of burns on the ground so. It's not a, a great resolution, really. But then we cut to a rabbi consecrating this box with the vampire heart inside it. Right, because she's from the Jewish Bible, <laughs> not the Christian one. Right, he's like, hey, when I consecrate a box, it says consecrated. Klahayim! Right, it's fine and then erica laniac and dennis miller are leaving this box with a the horrid heart of a demonic beast inside i guess they're just kind of flirting with each other <laughs> hey babe what is that intoxicating bouquet of perfume that you're wearing <laughs> yeah and she's like oh it's not perfume it's sunblock and then she hisses at him and shows her fangs and then bites dennis miller uh and the camera pulls back from the car that they're in to the mortuary and then we fade back into the crypt keeper uh segment that ends this fucking thing yeah and he goes oh this is the ter most terrifying story since romeo and Juliet." then william sadler chimes in and he is now just a, a decapitated noggin sitting in a seat so he lost a whole bunch of rock paper scissors yeah and he says come on one more game double or nothing and of course the crypt keeper says you should quit while you're ahead <laughs> And then end of the movie. I was surprised they didn't bring the music in at the beginning. They only use it at the end. Tales from the Crypt, one of the best things about it was the the music. It's a great Danny Elfman piece. But that's the end of Bordello of Blood. It is a a fucking awful movie. Yes. I would argue one of the worst we've ever done. You keep saying that, but <laughs> Well, because I like setting the bar low. I like being able to step over the bar for the films for this show. But um, <laughs> it's it's not funny. It's not scary. No. no. There's not it's enough. It's not gory. Right. There's, it's not clever. No. It's not interesting. No. It's forgettable. Is it, Chad? Like, I think a year from now, I'm going to be able to say, like, wasn't Bordello of Blood terrible? And you're going to go, yeah, it really was. Not. I don't remember. Says you. All right, we'll see. You ask me in a year if I've ever seen it, I'm like, I don't know. Look. Maybe. It burns into the brain like the Nuremberg Trials, babe. Something you're never going to forget. Like, like where you were when you heard Kennedy died, huh? 
Babe. But Chad, yes. we're all done with episode five. Episode yes. six is right around the corner in a fortnight. Yes. What do we have for the grand finale of a season that has been filled with such dizzying highs? It's hard to imagine we could pick a movie that would be anywhere near as entertaining as any of these. Bo, if you could make one wish, uh-huh. if you could have any dream of yours come true, yes. if you could have a fantasy realized in front of you, I think that that would find itself manifested in a motion picture titled Fantasy Island. Ooh, that sounds mysterious. It does. And in fact, that will be the season finale of season 12. Is that right? Season 12 of Pick 6 Movies, all based on television shows that made their way to the big screen. And this will be the most contemporary film that we have recorded to date as we are going to tackle the Bloomhouse interpretation of Fantasy Island based on the 1970s-ish, 1980s-ish Ricardo Montalban television show of the exact same time that sounds thrilling chad uh my understanding is the film is not it takes some liberties takes some chances with the yes. uh, the the fantasy island premise and i for one uh, could not be more excited it you know at the time of this recording i have not seen it but i have been doing my research on historical episodes of the original fantasy island and if they are able to somehow capture one one hundredth of the magic that herve villachez and ricardo montaban were able to bring to the small screen then we are truly in for a treat spoilers they don't do any of that it's a terribly awful horror film that fails across the board oh well that does sound like something i'd enjoy i know you would chad if uh, say a listener here's what happened recently uh somebody oh. that listens to the show uh actually said to me like hey I, i'm gonna review the show over on the itunes and, and i said that's really nice and then they did we've got uh, eight or nine written reviews now and oh which is a lot and they're all five stars oh yeah Thank you, first of all. If, you, if you've been listening to the show and you haven't reviewed and, and you want to make us feel good, uh, I don't know why you'd want to do such a thing. But if you did, then uh, leave us a, a, a rating and review over there. And it actually, like, it helps with rankings and search results and all that kind of stuff. So it helps kind of get the word out. So if, if you got a couple of minutes to burn, hey, uh, why don't you do that? Yeah, go online. We didn't charge anything for this show. The least you could do is go wherever Bo said and leave some kind words and make sure it's five stars. It's five out of five, right? Not like five out of ten, right? That's right. We're at the top of the the bell curve there. We're not at the halfway mark. It's not like, hey, we got five stars, but with your help, we're going to get to six. (sighs) Come on, people. Get us up to six stars. That's what we're looking for. You know what? It's only a five-star scale, but fuck that, people. Get us to six. So come back in two weeks. We will be here with Fantasy Island, a horror movie based on a horrible slash fantastic show from the 1970s and 1980s. As always, like, rate, review, send us an email, picksixmovies at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. Bo, any final thoughts as it comes to Tales from the Crick presents Bordello of Blood? Just mentioning Fantasy Island. Sounds like another good stink is on the way. <laughs> ah. Gross. I'm going to throw up. All right, two weeks, people. Jesus Christ, what are we doing?